Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Biomast. We're on episode 109. We got a pretty pretty good lineup today. We've got a, a lot of stuff coming out of E3, even though it's only halfway through the first day, so we have lots to talk about. Um, got a couple old guests on here, <clears throat> talk about some uh, some PvE stuff, but for the E3, we're probably going to go on to Titanfall 2, some of the Mass Effect, Battlefield, uh, some new Telltale stuff for Batman, Injustice 2, um, the new Destiny expansion, then we'll probably go into a kind of our, our deeper dive topic of PVE and video games, kind of a open-ended talk about it. I know we, we've brought in Ripley Riley, who's a, a huge fan of that, and I'm also a big proponent for PVE and games, so it'll, it'll be a good talk. Um, without much further ado, let's get started off with some introductions at the top of the list with Sarai Zell. I'm Zell, and uh, I'm here, and I, I'm going to talk things on the podcast. That is what we do here, um, usually poorly and without any you know, form of organization whatsoever, but we, we do try to talk for a full hour and sometimes succeed. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> all right, Jason? Yeah, um, I'm Hogarth Hughes, and I like uh, big, tall, like metallic dudes uh, that sound like Vin Diesel. Um, I got nothing for today. I'm kind of reaching into the grab bag. So I think epi- uh, Element 109 on the per- periodic table... Let me go. I'm doing this in my head here. Left, down, and right. Meternium, I think it's like a synthetic element, radioactive. So there you go. That's all I got. I, I watched Iron Giant with my kid, and I'm trying to remember the periodic table for you. And I'll talk about some games or whatever. <laughs> nice. I love that movie, Iron Giant. They did a remake of it recently, right? Or at least a, like a re-release of it? Uh, I, I don't know. We caught it like on Netflix or something. Oh, okay. Or, or Hulu right. or something like that. I, I'm not entirely... Not entirely sure where we saw it, but I walked in today and he's like, oh, it's like Iron Giant. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So yeah, he, he nice. liked it. It was a good. That's a good, good flick. All right, Livy. Hey, I'm Livy. Um, gamer, blogger, caught the plague this week. So I will try to keep uh, talking as I can. <laughs> All right. And uh, Ripley? Hey, I'm Ripley Riley, CEO of Incorruptibles. I'm going to try my absolute hardest to pretend I care about Battlefield and Call of Duty. Other than that, Woohoo, PVE! We're all going to be working real hard on that one for the three seconds we talk about it, but uh, I, I, it had to be mentioned because it was a pretty big, pretty big piece of uh, today's presentation at the E3. So we'll, we'll we'll try to stomach our way through, but I promise we won't linger too far. And uh, I'm Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations. I co-host the blog, or sorry, I co-host the podcast. I write for the blog, and I'm having really bad allergies today. So if I sound like I can't breathe, it's because I can't, and I'll try not to you know, lose you on, on too many sneezing fits. So uh, with that said, there is one thing that Zell wanted to clarify. Uh, there was a correction uh, last week that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So um, I said something about the Rainbow Six Siege starter edition offer being available, like from now until like November. Um, it's now until like next week, um, June 19th. Um, so that was a really awful uh, screw up. I failed to fix to clarify it during the podcast. Um, and so what I wanted to mention is that if we have any clarifications, details, links to things that you might be interested in that we talked about during the show, we try to put that on the uh, po- the blog post on our on our site for the podcast in question. So I just want to mention that even if you do listen to our show via iTunes or some other medium, you should actually check into our blog post for it just to see if we uh, figured something out that we were totally wrong about during the show because we might be and then we'd, we'd put it there. Good stuff. All right, so um, E3 is starting. It started earlier today. Um, the EA presentation was kind of a big one. I know that uh, 
Bethesda has one later tonight in a little less than an hour here, so that'll be pretty cool to, to catch. But uh, aside from E3, uh, EA, there was a bunch of other kind of pre-release things, uh, different trailers, some different announcements come out. And it's kind of a thing game companies been doing lately, as they like to announce before you know the the, the convention. So uh, lots of stuff to talk about. Um, one big one that that I actually have kind of a renewed interest in is Titanfall Two. Um, I have I, I really didn't play Titanfall One. My brother did, but I watched him play it a lot. Uh, I just never got into it, but I, I have heard that it is now going to be on all consoles, both PS4, Xbox 360, and PC, which is pretty cool. Um, and I know Zell has a lot more experience with it. Did you want to talk about that for a bit, man? Uh, Titanfall? Titanfall 2, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the, I, what I looked at, um, it looks like they're, they're doing, they're actually going to like, do like a real single-player campaign for Titanfall 2. Um, so, yeah. to, to be clear, Titanfall 1 is really just a multiplayer game. Um, it's uh, 6v6, but it has some NPCs to make people who are bad at the game feel like they did something useful. Um, so there's there's lots of little NPCs, and then there's only six actual players versus six players. And then their single-player campaign was like a little audio clip intro to each slightly themed um, battle scenario. But they were the same maps and the same, and it was, you know, and you got thrown into a PvP situation to begin with, at, you know, at, anyways. So they kind of made a campaign of sorts, but it really wasn't it wasn't single player. It really wasn't a deep campaign. It was just a little stitching together for a set of six six games in a row or something like that. Um, this trailer, they seem to indicate uh, that they're actually doing a, a real story to it. Um, there seems to be more um, of an actual a they're they're doing this thing with AI in terms of the the Titans is you could always kind of put them on like an AI mode where they would patrol or or follow you or whatever. Um, but that was about it. They were they were kind of just there. Um, and the way their trailer indicated, it seems like maybe the the Titans have some sort of uh, like sophisticated AI personality to them as well. Um, because there was actually you know the the trailer has someone conversing with a Titan. Um, who's decided against regulations to work with this other guy. Um, and so that, that actually sounds like they're, they're really putting something together. So that's kind of cool. Um, I'm interested to see what they do. I hope it doesn't just end up to be some slightly nicer cinematics stitching together a bunch of actually just multiplayer missions. Um, so we'll see. I did enjoy it. It's the original. Um, it's a lot of the people that make it are the old Call of Duty team from Infinity Ward. Um, the movement is a lot is a, a lot more dynamic than Dust or, or or any of the old Call of Duty games. I some of the new ones I think have have gone this way as well. But there's a lot of wall running and stuff like that. It's kind of made Titanfall what it is, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. But let's be honest, I've got Overwatch now. There, <laughs> I may not I may not really spend much time with the new Titanfall. Yeah, it is interesting to see them move to a like a well, hopefully a proper single player. I, I remember watching my brother play the the you know we'll call it single player for uh, or the campaign mode for Titanfall One, and it was it was kind of dumb because like like you said it was just a uh, another multiplayer match and regardless if you won or lost the story progressed the same anyways so it you're there was no consequence to you know what you did and it's like I lost but we're just gonna pretend that I did and we're we're good let's progress the story to the next round it was it was really weird um it felt <clears throat> a lot like they just kind of tacked it on at the end and and just tried to 
to stitch it in with the multiplayer just to, to say they had a campaign mode, but it, it was it really was non-existent. So it, it, that trailer with the the single player campaign was was pretty interesting, you know. Uh, for the creators of Call of Duty, I can't really expect much of a story to come out of it, but hey, you know, it might be surprising. But you are right. I remember when the, uh, I think it was one of the Advanced Warfares for Call of Duty that came out like right after Titanfall. It was basically the same game, just without Titans. <laughs> it was like, why don't you guys bother? I don't know. I, I have not played a whole lot of Titanfall. The trailer, I will, you know, the original Titanfall, but the trailer did look pretty decent. But what we're starting to see is I think, you know, everything. Um, it used to be you could look at like at a game trailer and kind of get a feel for it and uh, during an announce, like even like three years ago. And you could kind of see some uh, like tearing or separation between what, what looks good and, and how something might be noticeably different in terms of gameplay or style or, or the feel. Like everything just looks good nowadays. It's really hard to like pull apart, uh, you know, pull apart something that's really differentiating games. I and mean, Titanfall looks good. It did have kind of the mech thing going for it, which was kind of cool. And, and you know, I think to Zell's point, like there were... Uh, that was probably pretty innovative in terms of like character movement when it first came out, but now that's fairly fairly common. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what they do to kind of advance the game itself. Um, that's usually what I start looking for when you have kind of these big jumps in time in between, like you know, original game and then game two. Are they are they just simply going to the well and kind of reskinning the digital puppets, or are they? actually trying to add something that's that's like fresh and innovative to it e- either mechanically or like a big twist in the story not that there's really story in the first one but you, you know what i mean yeah i mean you could tell from the trailer there were some elements that were that were new and they they did talk about you know bringing in six new titans on top of the, the existing three so i mean there there may be some some degree of, of new stuff there but like you said it, it's really difficult to tell these days because like you said, everything looks great um and I, you almost see this this really heavy push to encourage gamers to pre-order, and it, it freaks me out because, like you said, you, you can't tell anymore until you actually read a review. Um, but then they try to offer up these attractive pre-order bonuses, so you you know want to jump on it to get the bonus, but you may you know be taking a gamble at the same time and end up with something that's more of the same. And that's exactly um, why they want you to pre-order it. Yeah, and that's that's why I get worried when they, they offer this really attractive pre-order bonus to something that is a sequel or something that's extremely hyped. I, I, I immediately recoil now and go, oh, hold on, you know, is this really worth the risk yeah, of pre-ordering this, you know? To, okay, without going into too big of a tangent, I will say this. I, I have now developed what I like to refer to as the Overwatch paradigm. If you want me to buy your your season pass DLC and like the super cool skins and all that stuff for like an extra twenty bucks or whatever, let me play the full game for a couple days for free. And if I think it's worth it, I'll buy it. And a lot of games have moved that way, but it's it, it can be really hard to catch that window of here's the you know here's the free trial because Pokey you you didn't get a chance at it right uh, at Overwatch no yeah and so like. The game was free for a couple of days, but some people didn't get in on it. That sort of thing. It's I kind of I kind of wish they would just go back and do the old fashioned free trial. Yeah, um, game demos. Game demos. Yeah, totally. They, they used to used to actually have whole discs just for game demos. You can you, get you can demo actually discs. do that on. There's quite a few games that if you pull digitally off of least off of Sony, you can do that. Even even a couple like relatively you know, pretty new titles, you're you're able to get. Payday like, like, Two one has level. a demo. Yeah, that's right. It does. That's right. 
Yeah, PlayStation Plus does run that thing where you can play the game for like a couple hours for free, the full game. It's not just like a a pre-can demo. It's actually the whole game. So that's that's the, nice. The other one that I that works really well for that is if you do have somebody like if you've got a buddy that's got the game, you can do a game share over. Uh, I I don't know if Xbox does it, but I know PSN will. And Steam has like a a family, family library share. setting. Yeah, and. When they say family share, it's it's really friends and whoever share. To be honest, but so, you do you do have to like be you have to log into their computer once to enable it on their computer. So you kind of do have to be there in person. What's the uh, what's the release date for Titanfall Two? I don't I know no if it was idea. released. I, no I think idea. they were just they were, yeah they were just kind of doing. It's I think it's this fall. I think it's well yeah, but I think it's I, this no, fall. It's I think it's holiday six, season. October sixteenth, I think. Yeah, that's somewhere. About it. That okay. sounds right. All right, I got you. Now, I, like, added me to close to Rat Hall, but I, that was just thinking, I was thinking through that. Oh, oh there the you 28th? go. 28th? Okay, well, there you go. Thanks, Rip. No, the, like I said, I wasn't trying to pull this down Rat Hall. I was just, I, like, that was sort of the uh, the model that I've I've now used. It, you know, if I look at the last few games that I've I've really put paid attention to and put, like, uh, more money in than, like, the base game costs, that was World of Tanks, which I played... Uh, both betas extensively, uh, and then Overwatch. But I played the beta extensively. I did not. I did not play the Division beta, and you know, I feel rather stupid for putting cash money into that game. But uh, that's okay. Well, <laughs> I'm to the, the point the, now the, where I have to watch gameplay footage on YouTube. I can't even yeah. go by trailers anymore. Well, that's and that's that. And see, Rip, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is like everything looks good. You, like the quality of what they will show at E3 is quite and it's literally not going to be an engine cinematic. either. It'll be pre-rendered but, and look no, fantastic. No, even the pre, even the pre-engine stuff, the in-engine stuff, you can't trust. You cannot trust the gameplay video. Nope, because um, they can I, they can amp up the they can amp up the game engine that doesn't work in actual gameplay, but still play in the engine. Right. That's why it's, it's um, yeah. If anyone remembers, there was a there was a whole whole thing with uh, Watch Dogs, which I I. I did really enjoy that game. I'm looking forward to the sequel of that, and I th- they sh- they first started talking about that I think last week. Um, but uh, f- the gameplay showed up, showed up, shown off at E3 for Watch Dogs used a whole bunch of settings for the engine that they disabled in the release version, and there were people who figured out how to enable some of them again, and they were a little bit unstable, a little higher on the you know on the graphics cards and stuff like that. Um, but the reality was, is like the highest setting they let you just enable on the game was lower than what they sh- they actually played on the on, at E3. Yeah. So now my ritual is, um, I, I don't get hyped. I wait for the the YouTube let's players to get a hold of it and watch the first fifteen to twenty minutes of gameplay and make the decisions then. And so far, I am yet to be disappointed by a game. That's that's good counsel. I mean, kind of going back to what Jay said about the division. The problem with that is that the beta, like the the part you played in the beta, was actually, in my opinion, really solid. Like the, the actual campaign part of Division was really enjoyable. I, I really liked it. It's when you get to the end game that the whole thing falls apart. But by then, you know, <laughs> if you're at the end game, you're beyond any playable demo or you know, let's play early on. So I mean, you've already bought it at that point. And that's kind of where I got bitter about Division. It's like, well, it was great until I got to the part where I, you know, have to keep playing it. You know, after the first you know thirty hours or so, and some games um, are just good, yeah. good for the maybe even worth it just for that early experience. Um, 
you know the the older public was is a great example of one that has an amazing starter storyline for each and every class in that game. But after a certain point, the game's just kind of mediocre. But, first, but the early stuff is really good. First 25 levels of Swartor are good fun, great writing. And then after that, it's just a downhill. So I agree. <laughs> but okay. I wouldn't say it isn't worth it as a game. It's just that's the part of it that's good. Well, for me, it depends on how much time I get out of it. If the main story only lasts, you know, twenty hours, and I played, paid sixty bucks for the year, I'm kind of pissed because you know I, I wanted to get more time out of it than that before it, you know, falls to shit. Now, if I paid twenty bucks for the game because it's older and the main campaign lasts for twenty hours and then the rest of it's crap, eh, you know, it was that's a you know decent enough deal. But when you're they're pushing you to buy the game early on via pre-order or whatever. You know, you, you don't have that opportunity of getting it for a, a discounted price, and that's where you know a, a lot of my paranoia comes from in purchasing games early on now. But I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll get back to all that once we we get to the Destiny portion of the show. But uh, for now, Zell, um, get your towel because you can talk about Mass Effect now. All right. So um, <laughs> there 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 was a tr- the trailer for uh, Mass Effect Andromeda came out. Um, and uh, first and foremost, I have to say that the Tempest is a pretty starship, and I want one. Um, because I'm a starship nerd and it's it's an awesome looking ship. Um, that's that's almost all I have. I'm totally buying this thing. It doesn't really matter. I will buy all of the collector's edition and whatnots. Pre-ordered, yes. I will take the disappointment. I don't care. Um, it's Mass Effect. Um, but uh, so the big thing with Mass Effect though is they're moving to the Frostbite engine, so it's going to look like Battlefield quality, pretty. Um, I, I think it looked pretty good before, but it's going to look more. Um, they're doing everything in another galaxy, and um, that's that's really they, they don't they didn't give us a lot to go on. It, it really has kind of a no man's sky kind of kind of vibe to it. I got that vibe too. They're trying to distance themselves from the third one because of all that fallout. Honestly, the third one was fine. It was just you know it's one of those things. My my view on Mass Effect three, and it it was in many ways fun. It was an an a lot of it mechanically was an upgrade from Mass Effect two. Um, there was plenty of content. It was okay. I, the galaxy readiness score thing could take a dive. Multiplayer can go jump off a cliff, but the game was fine. I don't think I don't think it was possible to have a ending to Mass Effect Three that would have satisfied the expectations for it. I think it's kind of like it's kind of like The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is a movie that was so fantastic, in my opinion, that there was no way to make a movie that was going to just that was going to come after it that was good um the dark knight rises did not meet expectations and i don't think it ever could have um similarly i think mass effect 2 was such an incredible title that there was no way to top it now that i'll agree with 2 was so good the follow-up to that was doomed to not live up to expectations but i i just i'm still bitter about the ending and i know that that's petty but and also i didn't i didn't actually finish the game until all the dlc came out so um I had all the improvements they made to the ending and stuff when I played through it, so that helped. Yeah, it, it looks like it's got, like they said, kind of that, that No Man's Sky feel. Like I, they didn't, luckily, drop the term open world because that freaks me out nowadays. But It's uh, because it, it won't be open world, I guarantee I know, you. but it, it did kind of imply a more, again, I haven't really played much of Mass Effect 1 through 3, but you know, it implies certainly like a broader um level of exploration as compared to the first uh, trilogy. So, you know, yeah. it, it looks interesting. Yeah, that was, I would say, you know, kind of what, you know, other than the actual visuals, because it, it did, again, have sort of that No Man's Sky kind of feel, um, or even whatever that, that uh, 
what is it that that Robert Space Industries bullshit that like Zell's put most of his life Star savings into? Yeah. So there was definitely a heavy tone of uh, exploration that you saw. Like whereas in the first two Mass Effects, it was a much more uh, like it was sold and and presented as a much more story driven you know, deep RPG that had, there was a narrative that you were following and whether, and depending on how you, there's about a, you know, 50 ways to get between points A and B, you know, at the beginning and the end of the story. Uh, And then sort of what you ended up with at the end, you were still going to be able to follow this sort of really elaborate choose your own adventure basically. Uh, But again, it's within the context of that, that story. Whereas this tone was very much, go out and find new things. And it really, you know, went to some links talking about the exploration of a new galaxy, the exploration of planets, a lot of shots of, uh, you know, big open vistas, things like that. A lot of driving around in the space dune buggy, which by the way, I actually enjoyed quite a bit in the original mass effect. Um, I like the Mako. Everyone it was kind it. of fun. I actually thought it was kind of fun um, because you got, because you could like just kind of go around and explore. I always, always get a kick out of that trying to figure out how big some of these maps are, but um, it definitely had a different tone to it, and I kind of like it because it is a a clear departure. And then the other thing, if you think about it, I mean, the Mass Effect series was very much a story driven, uh, character driven series, and that was that was probably. I mean, the gameplay itself, you know, in one and two, it was good, it was clean, but it was it was not earth shaking in terms of the actual mechanical play. I mean, it looked good, felt okay, but. It, it was really like the action was the action of you playing. It's a cover-based shooter. It, well, yeah, but see, that's the thing though. The action of you playing was really a vehicle to get you to the next plot point where you make decisions. Right. It, it was a is a really really elaborate telltale game, basically. I played where, it uneasy. I wasn't playing for the combat. Well, and that's the things like that. Like I I found myself doing that that too. Like in Mass Effect two. Like after I went through one, picked up two. I actually like instead of trying to attack it like a you know like a competitive gamer, I actually just enjoyed the story, and I found that I I actually liked that much better in Mass Effect Two. Mass Effect Three, I you know, I, it kind of like kind of went off the rails. It clearly wasn't as good in terms of um, like the narrative it was trying to pitch. But this is totally different. If you think about it, they kind of had to do something different. I, even if it wasn't distancing distancing themselves from Mass Effect Three. They just needed something fresh to keep the story, keep a story going or generate a new story. So they had to kind of go in some direction and they'd kind of done the, you know, galaxies at risk, Jason Bourne, you know, special operations, you know, like Star Trek kind of feel. Uh, they had to do something different. Maybe this is it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think it's going to be more open than, than the previous three games, to be honest. Um, I think it's probably going to be more more exploration themed than war themed perhaps but i think it's still going to end up at the end of the day being more or less the same um so that's fair. which is fine and i'm okay with that because i loved what i've what i've had before and i do think that uh, mass effect is the is the true in the post jj abrams has ruined my franchise world um i think mass effect is the true successor to star trek um and uh i'm i'm cool with that oh oh speaking complete sidebar i'm sorry i'm i'm just gonna throw no, this game in there. It, um, Ubisoft announced they are making a VR bridge crew Star Trek game. <laughs> that could be. It's could gonna be, be like exploration. To, it's gonna be. How like, long did you black out after they announced that? 
I I don't know because I wasn't conscious. I just I, I I mean like it was announced sometime yesterday. I was oh I think maybe I was awake like six hours yesterday total. So I'm not sure. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's gonna be it's like four player co-op on a br- on a bridge in VR. And um, as soon as that comes out, I will buy a VR headset. I don't care how much it is. I will buy it. Um, this is how everything ends. I know, but my God, you can be on a st- on, on a bridge. They're, they will. They. I guess it's going to be like ninety percent similar to the Enterprise, but it will not be the Enterprise, presumably, so that they can do whatever the crud they want with it. You um, know that. Re- that reminds me of. Uh, did you ever hear about the Artemis spaceship yes. bridge crew? Yeah. I, I I would love to try playing Artemis. Um, I don't have enough friends to play Artemis. <laughs> you know, I believe that. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, yeah, it's it's a believable fact. I actually, um, yeah. So for people who don't know, Artemis is a non-Star Trek branded, completely off-brand, completely independently made um, little land party game where you get to um, have like a you need a bunch of computers and monitors to play it properly because you can actually have. A bunch of different computers running different stations on a bridge of a spaceship and and have one as your view screen and everything you can set up like a star trek bridge um in your house which i have enough screens to do that i just don't have enough friends to use all the screens so, that i have so an important point first it's it's competently made and 40 dollars buys you the license for all the members of the crew so you everyone doesn't have to own a copy yes which is pretty cool in my opinion and they have an Android version too, so I, I I think you can have little mobile tablets involved in that as well. I did not know that. That's cool. I think I actually bought the Android version. I've ne- just because I I never bought the actual real version though. So what you're saying is that the biomass crew has to buy VR headsets and see how fast we can be forced to eject the core out of the Enterprise. Um, yes, because we screwed everything up. It's it's okay. the uh, it's the uh, Aegis though. It's the USS Aegis in this game. Okay, okay, so, but we yeah, will most different. definitely As blow I said, it up not, in like five not minutes. Not the Enterprise, but. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's totally not the Enterprise. But you can totally <laughs> pretend it is because it looks just like it. Right, exactly. Okay, awesome. That actually is pretty cool. It reminds me a bit of um, the multi-crew stuff for Star Citizen where you're you're all kind of hooked into different systems working together to, to uh, run the should, ship. And, and that, we should that's, eventually that's cool. still someday, three, four, eight years from now, get to play it that way. In 2015 the, when I because, don't care anymore? <laughs> because Star Citizen is supposed to support the Rift 2. Um, actually, let me let me just continue spiraling along off our original topics and just like running off before the before the hosts who actually keep the show in order like manage to rein me in. Um, also, this week, uh, Star Citizen released uh, their 2.4 patch. Um, they got up to like 2.4 revision T on the on the the test server before they pushed it to the main server. Um, I had a friend of mine who's like, I, I don't, I think they'll make it to Q this time. He's like, oh nope, they beat Q. They're at T now. Um, but uh, 2.4, they pushed out the Starfarer, which is the first like capital class ship that you can actually now fly around. The thing's huge. It's got like six decks. Um, they. They, I watched a YouTube video touring the thing, and it took them a half hour to tour the whole ship. So, it's it's like the first like significantly large vehicle um, in the game. Um, and then uh, they also the other thing that's kind of big for an MMO because it's a thing that MMOs are supposed to have um, for the first time. Uh, Star Citizen's universe is persistent, and things that you buy will actually stay bought when you reload the game and go into it again. <laughs> Oh wow! Basic features—they finally got those in. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's that's new. Um, so there, there was actually this is like one of their most significant patches in the last year. 
um, that came out this week. So I have not tried it. I don't know how. I haven't. I haven't really tried to see if it's any good. But there, it was a big patch list. Yeah, I actually have access to that game, and I've decided I'm not going to bother until they actually release it because it seems like they have no idea what they're doing. Or it's going to be so a long, long time. Do... Yeah, it's be a long you know, time. I'm, I'm actually not that worried about waiting because someday I'll go. Oh, oh yeah, I, I did buy that game five years ago. Maybe I will load it up and, and we'll see what it looks like. I mean, there's some Steam early access games that have been in Steam early access since Darces and like, yeah, but those ones are actually announced. like playable <laughs> and have so features. So Star Citizen. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Anyways, uh, moving forward, um, I, I have to mention it because it was a pretty big deal with, uh, with EA as the Battlefield 1 uh, trailer and the playable uh, demo they had there. And like I said, I won't, I won't linger on this too long, but the battle, Battlefield 1 is basically kind of a reboot of, I think, World War One in an alternate universe so they can play with the timeline and not, you know, totally retcon history. Um, it looks pretty cool, kind of a like a throwback to the original Battlefield games. You know, it's definitely uh, like I said, it's not like you're running around with jetpacks or anything crazy like that. But uh, it, it looks neat. The 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 gameplay they had there, they had 64 player battle, which was kind of cool. Um, they had little dev cameras flying around, videotaping it all. So it was it was pretty neat. Um, I'm not a huge Battlefield player, but it it did look very good. Frostbite's a, a pretty solid engine, and it it looks like. You know, pretty fun. Don't think I'll probably pick it up because, again, Battlefield's not really my thing. Um, anyone else see that or care about it? Um, I did see it. It looks pretty cool. The only thing I would uh, I would kind of offer is it will. I, I suspect it's going to be a very different style. Uh, it, well, not a very different style, but it will be noticeably different than some of the other class. Of, you know, sort of uh, hyper realistic. You know, combat games that we've you know FPS style combat games we've seen. Only because in World War One, the it was dramatically different. So uh, you cut around around the time Saving Private Ryan came out. That's when you had really the, you know, sort of the 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 Call of Duty slash Battlefield Front, blah blah blah. Everything was about World War Two, and then it sort of drifted forward in terms of you know FPS is progressing from there. World War One is interesting to me, is you know. I'm curious to see how the gameplay really plays out because you're talking about things like bolt action rifles, some melee combat, and then and a ridiculous amount of things that like an FPS player doesn't like the, the battlefield environment is different because it was a lot of trench warfare, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of artillery. There's a lot, there's the, the tone of the combat was different. So I'm trying to, I'm interested to see how they capture it in the game and make it fun. Uh, World War Two, you could, you know, technology had progressed to the point where it, you know, it looked, th- there's a lot more tools that you could employ in a, in a game type setting. Whereas uh, in World War One, it's uh, particularly like in, you know, sort of the, the type of scenes that they were showing in the trailer. That's like, that's like the worst corridor map you've ever seen in dust, like times five. So that's, I'm curious to see how they do it. It looked good. So that, that was kind of the only thing I wanted to add on. It was just, I'm curious to see how they take that setting and make it uh, a, a really, you know, like a really engaging, intense, it, it could probably be an intense fight, but make it like, you know, an engaging FPS style game. I'll be interested to see how they do that. I, I want, I, I also want to know, I want to know what Rattati thinks of uh, 
upcoming Battlefield games. I, I do. Someone, if he if he listens, he should tell us so we can we can report on that. Because I know Needs he's a more big fan. Bio- he's a big Battlefield fan. Yeah, I guess that's that's fair. Um, Jay, Jay raises good points though that it's kind of interesting to see how they'll they'll translate what would have been considered you know realistic versus what's actually something you want to play in a game without it being absolutely horrible. Because everything's all all about the wall running and the fancy fancy crazy designed weapons and stuff like that now and well and i think that's what they're intentionally trying to get away from especially in light of you know infinite warfare with call of duty which has gone basically halo um they're trying to go the absolute opposite direction and go way back to you know a more of a classic thing so we'll, we'll see how they handle it you know will that end us uh, us up back in uh star wars battlefront territory where it's like a shooter from 20 years ago essentially today Oh, they, well, they now they they did they did um, I think you know full on announce battle for, you know Star Wars Battlefront two right that's that's a thing now uh yeah I believe so is that going to be uh, is I that going to be some of the non original trilogy areas um it reportedly yes well that okay so probably a good segue on this one as we step off of battle of battlefield um uh, EA put out a it was basically a rundown i don't think it was ea it might have been disney i'm not sure but they have a trailer it's about minute 40 minute 40 maybe of all of the different star wars games that are coming out here pretty soon or at least that are currently in the works um battle and uh, star wars battlefront 2 was one of the ones they talked about i've actually seen something separate on that one where they had a, a it was a discussion about like look we you know we acknowledge that we rushed getting that game out because we we had to time it with the, with uh, with the movie, with uh, was it episode fucking seven? Uh, so so they they admitted that they put that game out well before that they actually really would have wanted to because obviously it was sans any kind of single player format or anything like that. And, and there was it looked good. There's a lot of neat tour. I mean, it captured a lot of the the feel of Star Wars, but just really empty shell for gameplay uh gameplay content rather so that was basically battlefront 2 i think is going to be the game that they probably envisioned originally putting out is what it sounds like now that was a snippet from an interview and they mentioned it in this uh star wars games trailer they also showed um so it was battlefront there was a what looked to me like a you know, Knights of the Old Republic style RPG uh, that, you know, some very interesting sort of uh, kind of story driven dynamic, kind of, you know, um, you know Mass Effect E kind of, you know, SWOTOR kind of thing. They showed one of those and then they had another one that was uh, a little bit more, you know, maybe Star Wars Rebels or like kind of bounty hunter looking guys going after, you know, in a big fight going over some stuff, but there's no recognizable characters or anything like that. Uh, and then they touched on a couple other other things here and there, but they, they do have a slate of, I want to say five or six Star Wars games that are actively in development being produced that they're trying to put out here in the near future. And I think they're trying to, again, time them with this next wave for the upcoming Star Wars movies coming out. Yeah, it was unfortunate that they, they rushed that first one because it was, you know, obviously highly anticipated and definitely fell flat of, of expectations. I, I do hope that they can 
take the feedback and, and work around the movies and whatever the production studio is requiring them to do to, to put out a game that they actually want to, to publish because they feel it's ready and, and instead of just rushing in and pushing it out. Because uh, not often will I play a demo of a game I'm really excited for and immediately lose interest because of the lack of, of you know, engaging content. So, you know, it would be nice if I they could pull me back in with, with you know, Battlefront 2, but we'll, you know, we'll see. I, hopefully they can pull it off. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, there, there, you know, you could tell that they had built a a really nice looking, nice sounding shell, and that it was waiting for somebody to drop content into it. Uh, is is basically the way I would describe that. In, yeah. in a weird, in a weird way, I got a not a weird way, but well, I had a similar feel for Rainbow Six Siege, which I, like I've got a lot of buddies that really like that game. It it can be very fun in sort of a moment to moment kind of way, but it's just, there's just not a lot there. And and I kind of got a similar sort of feeling from star Wars battlefront one. So I'm really hoping that they actually do some, they actually do some things in the game. And I was, I'm really interested to see if Disney, who is actually pretty smart at this type of stuff, how can they use like game medium as a way of, augmenting the story that we're getting like if if like to me there's a lot of fertile ground i mean there's so much that you could talk you could go into in star wars like if they had if they had developed uh, like any kind of like quality game that would have tied in with like the clone wars uh tv series which by the way was like i let my kid watch that like the first season it was like you know like standard kid fairs type stuff like as that thing went on that was like some serious like I'm not sure that I should be letting a six-year-old watch one of these. Kind of oh things. no, that was that was that was not a kid's show, in my opinion. But it was it was good. Like Clone Wars was fantastic, like, especially it, in in light of the movie, episodes one through three. It was like holy crap! This this should have been what they were doing for the first three episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so there was a there's a lot of stuff there. Um, Star Wars Rebels that that is a effectively a successor to the Clone Wars, you know, in terms of quality and style. It's quite good. I mean, particularly the latter ones that they've come out with in the last, you know, the last season or two, season and a half. Really, really, really good stuff. So there's a ton of things that they could be, you know, bringing into into the Star Wars world uh, that would be very interesting to me to see. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that, that Disney maybe, maybe tries to push the envelope a little bit or at least, like I said, kind of parallel or tell things around the main story. Uh, I think that would be a a pretty good touch if they could if they have a game cooking out there that would do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's a franchise that's definitely got a, a strong future ahead of it, regardless of what direction they take it for games or shows or movies or whatnot. So you know, it, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I just hope that there's some more quality stuff coming out because you know, like I said, Battlefront was obviously a bit of a, a disappointment. So. Yeah, you know, we can hope, and I think that you know they'll they'll eventually get it. I think that when episode seven was announced, they all kind of rushed to get as much done as possible before it came out, and you know that's the result of what we saw was a lot of rush stuff. Whereas when they took their time with like uh, Clone Wars, you know, the show, um, really fantastic writing. I think that's actually considered um, canon. Like that's that's all canon. That's all part of the the universe moving forward. So that's that's really solid because it was really good and you know well done. So yep, you know we'll we'll see here. All right, now there's two more games that I really haven't been tracking, but I know Jay has. Um, did you want to tell us a bit about the the new Telltale game and Injustice Two? Yeah, sure. So uh, a couple things. One, uh, like we've uh, like Bait, one of our other co-hosts who's, who's not here with us tonight. We've we're kind of fans of the Telltale games, which are kind of your 
your classic um, you know, story-driven game. There's there's some actual gameplay in it, you know, actual mechanical gameplay. There's you know, a, depending on which which game, which Telltale game, it could go anywhere from literally you're sort of quite literally watching a video version of a choose-your-own-adventure book, or it's a you know, kind of a more classic, almost Mass Effect style, you know, where you're using gameplay action to get you to the next part of the story, really, or to the next dialogue choices. Um, but Telltale's coming out with a Batman game. And they have not released a trailer, but they do have some stills of it. Uh, and Telltale generally is quite good at making story-driven games. That is really their niche in the game market, uh, and that's kind of what they're what they're laying out. And it's it's not entirely clear, uh, you know, kind of what the the premise is, but it appears to be a serialized game. Which again, that's something that Telltale's kind of perfected is kind of these bite-sized chunks, these like chapter-sized chunks of story that come out every you know month, six weeks, something like that, that kind of has you, you know, basically you, you can subscribe to it or you can buy it sort of uh, a la carte. And uh, that's that's something I'm kind of interested in seeing, but it'll be a console release uh, from Warner Brothers Interactive and DC Entertainment. And I think it's coming out, I'm trying to find it online right now, but... I want to say it comes out here pretty soon, actually. Uh, I can't find it off the top of my head, but I, I actually thought it was coming out this winter. So I'll be kind of keeping my eye on it. Really, I'm a, it's mainly because uh, you know I like Telltale games. And I'm kind of interested to see what they do. This looks like a an iteration beyond what they've been doing for the last few years, which is basically taking the same engine, the same sort of story, uh, the same story model and just applying different environments on it and different characters on it. They've done like walking dead, game of Thrones, all this, you know, all these other kind of things. They usually do them fairly well, but it, it was getting a little bit stale in terms of, uh, how they were presenting stories and how you were kind of manipulating your way through a story. So I'm kind of hoping that they, they, they iterate it, iterate on it a little bit and maybe, kind of push that one forward. Um, the other game, uh, the, the other gameplay trailer I saw, which I was kind of interested in was injustice Two. Uh, I played injustice one. I, I am not in, in, you know, there's a lot of people get very competitive about some of these kind of things. Uh, you know, the, the classic fighting games, mortal Kombat, and, you know, nether realm studios, that kind of stuff. So, uh, Ed Boon, you know, the, you know, the granddaddy of, uh, mortal Kombat. he's the guy that brought injustice in, and that was your sort of classic superhero-based, DC superhero-based, uh, you know, fighting game in the in the theme of uh, a really well-done Mortal Kombat game. I mean, a lot of the same type of mechanics, things like that. It, there's some differences, but they did it really well. And they went uh, they on the original Injustice, they went like whole hog on it. Very, very deep character roster that really captured. Uh, I, I think uniformly, most people would say they captured the essence of a lot of the characters. There were a lot of neat little nods to the fans dotted throughout the uh, throughout the game. It was generally a very well received uh, video game. And again, you, you kind of have to be in that niche of liking liking fighting games. Uh, but most people thought it was it was quite good, at least as good as most of the Mortal Kombat games that had 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 been coming out. Um, it, so it gives you an idea of the general quality of the game writ large. But what was what was kind of neat about it? Uh, DC released a what was originally intended to be a very limited run of comics that went with it, that sort of told this backstory of what was going on in uh, 
in Injustice, which is it's your classic sort of you know alternate dimension. You know, what if the heroes and the villains maybe had swapped places and you know, or something had happened in the timeline. So long story short, in one timeline, uh, the Joker kills Lois Lane. Superman reacts as as you might expect, uh, which then ultimately leads to him kind of becoming the dictator of you know the the Earth, you know, so to speak. Uh, and several of the heroes had been s- sort of co-opted by him into becoming, I-, I would not call them evil, but they were certainly like totalitarian, like, you know, we run the planet for the planet's own good kind of thing. Fairly brutal in some ways. Um, and then you had, so you had this uh, interesting mix of some bad guys went with him. They basically like swore allegiance to Superman because they knew that's where, you know, so they didn't get killed. Uh, some bad guys and some of the good guys uh, sort of formed uh, a resistance movement. And, they, and it, what was interesting is there's a lot of tones of that that you see in Batman versus Superman uh, quite, quite overtly, in fact, in a few, in a few areas. So that was the basis of Injustice 1. And so they, they were going to put out, I want to say it was a 10 or 12 issue run that was going to you know, sort of tell the story of the, of, uh, you know, the struggle between these two parallel universes, which ultimately sort of had them bringing over like Superman from like the mainstream timeline to help them beat the, uh, you know, the, the Superman that had basically gone, gone bad. Um, the comic was actually incredibly well-written and well done. Uh, it, it was generally got really, really high, high reviews from a lot of people. And then they made it a reoccur like a, a long duration run. Basically they have continued to tell the story since injustice one came out and it's still a very highly regarded DC comic book property, which is to me fascinating. It was truly designed as like a, you know, kind of a limited run just to, to kind of help pinch the game, you know, pitch the game a little bit, but they wrote it beautifully. It was really well inked. And, and uh, so the story itself was done in a way that it brought a lot of neat, aspects to different characters, both good guys and bad guys out. And it hooked a lot of people onto it. And so it did its job. It actually got a lot of people interested in the game and it got a lot of people from the game, uh, buying some DC comics, generally off of like an app, like Comixology or, you know, or the DC comics app, that kind of thing. So what DC actually saw was that their web-based comic books, uh, like their sales actually increased. And, and specifically they had a lot of, uh, subscribers coming, for the Injustice comic book that actually started out as fans of the get the video game, so there was that was a good example of cross cross platform promotion uh, with DC and NetherRealm, and they've done this before. They actually had a Mortal Kombat DC tie-in in a previous game, but this was all DC and it worked out really well. So they wanted to go back to the well on it. Uh, and one of the things that they did really well, really well was uh, Ed Boon and the team over at NetherRealm. They basically. Uh, took all of the things you would imagine from a really, really quality entry into the Mortal Kombat, st- you know, stable in terms of how the how the fights work and like all the different unique moves that you can bring uh, that, you know, the different styles that the characters have multi- and you could change styles, you know, or style stances, whatever you want to call it in mid fight. They brought all that and really sunk them into the characters and get and breathed a lot of life into the characters. Um and showed him, you know, in really interesting ways. For example, uh, Aquaman, who is generally one of the, you know, traditionally has been kind of a, a sort of B B list hero or 
one that there's a lot of jokes about, you know, everybody remembers him from like the Wonder Friends uh, or Super Friends uh, cartoon back in like the early 80s and stuff. He was actually generally a, a like one of the more powerful characters in the game. He was definitely on par with like Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, Superman in terms of like his power level and what they were able to show in the game was what they had rarely been able to really show in the comic. And that actually drove a lot of the subsequent um, characterizations of Aquaman. And it's actually one of the reasons that you're going to, you're going to see Jason Momoa play Aquaman in the upcoming uh, Justice League movie, because they actually were able to show that that character was, you know, a, a fairly powerful character that you could, he's presented almost sort of in a Thor like role uh, in DC now. So, very interesting in terms of how that game and uh, how that partnership between uh, NetherRealm and DC kind of burgeoned uh, with Injustice 1. And there looks like they're definitely going to the well again with uh, Injustice 2, bringing a lot of uh, kind of big fan favorite characters in that, that uh, they highlighted in the, uh, in the trailer. Again, looked pretty solid. And I suspect it's going to be a, either a parallel to the, uh, to the current Injustice storyline or or something slightly different but it'll it should be pretty good i suspect it will it will be a quality fighting game and so if you like those kind of things i do recommend that you check them out the the first one was quite good you probably get it on like uh playstation plus for almost nothing now uh so that that one was kind of interesting and again i'm not a huge fighting fan fan game but i like comics kind of a dc you know i like dc and marvel kind of equally which kind of makes me a pariah in both worlds uh but uh it was a is good IP, and it was handled very well by NetherRealm. So I suspect they're going to have another, you know, eight point five or, you know, nine out of ten style game on their hands when that thing comes out. Very cool. I, I think that's a, a pretty good recap. Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with the series, but I, I have heard lots of good things about it. So I, mean, I think that you, you're right that they'll probably put out another really you know, solid quality product, and uh, it'll do quite well. Um, on the flip side, we have other games which are not so solid quality product. Um, so Bungie released the trailer for the next big expansion for Destiny called The Rise of Iron. Uh, who, here, <laughs> who here saw that? <laughs> and give me your thoughts. <laughs> Let's start with Jay. <laughs> so, uh, man, uh, okay, let me let me put it this way. I, I will I will say to you guys uh, on air what I basically told Pokey and Zell in in, a, in Skype earlier today. Um, this feels like Bungie is absolutely desperate to produce Destiny Two, but it, whatever something's not going well, it's just not where they want it, or you know, so they're pushing out content. Uh, as a sop to try to keep people on the game until they can actually generate an, an, a new, a new iteration on the game. Um, so bottom line, it's more the same, I think is the way I would describe it. You're going to get, a, I think you get some new maps, which is cool. You're going to get some new weapons, which people are going to go ooh and ah about for about two days. Um, you do get some really cool armors and stuff like that. And again, please don't get me wrong. I mean, Destiny is a really well-polished game. It looks good. It plays well. But there's no... I mean, but the content can get stale very quick. You can work your way through it real quick. And there's only so many times you can do a raid. You know, you can do more raids. Um, I think they do have one raid that's actually bigger now. I think you can play with more players now. Uh, that's one. That's an interesting... You know, an interesting vibe, but maybe not enough to, to really hook some things. So 
Um, I will that's, mention that's the extent of it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rip. I, I will mention one thing, and this is not a counterpoint. It's just an addendum to what you said. Back um, around when Destiny was first coming out, they had said that there were four planned DLCs. They called them Comets for whatever reason, because Destiny can't just call something what it is. Um, but yeah, there were four planned DLCs, so this would just be the last installment of those. I don't think they're... I think this has been in the works for a long time, and I do agree with you. They are probably just trying to stall, stretch this out as much as they can, because Destiny 2 is probably cooking right now, and it's not there yet. Yeah, no, I, and, and that's a very, by the way, that's a very good catch, Rip. Um, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that, but uh, you, you are correct that they, they did originally list those out. And so I, I'm assuming this is, you're right, this is probably, uh, you know, that continuation, but it's... <sighs> Like DLCs like this, like if you think about it, uh, other than the Taken King, which was effectively a a 1.5 edition because they basically went back and reworked a lot of the internals of the game. Uh, but like in terms of the actual new content, like you know, like new maps, new fights, you know, new you know, new stuff. This is stuff that you should release in like the first year or so the game is out, like once a quarter. That's that's the model that these that this level of DLC should have taken. Um, now I do, I will admit this now. I mean, I, I think it's, it's no secret now that the taken King was basically a triage moment for the series where they had to go back in there and rework a lot of stuff that really wasn't, that, that just wasn't working there uh, when the game uh, first came out. So I will, I will freely say that I did not play destiny at all until the week the Taken King came out. So my version of the game, like like what I played in the game is dramatically different. You know, my experience starting the game is very different than what somebody who played it from like the week the original came out. And uh, even then I was still like, this is really fun. I'm having a good time with it. It's fun to play with friends. It's, it, you know, the social aspects were there. All the tools are in that game, but there's no story and there's nothing driving you forward to keep going. Well, like dust. It has a uh, yeah. That there's progression is kind of. Eh, I don't. I I could do a post mortem on Destiny, but um, you guys eventually have to log off. Um, <laughs> the the thing that um, I think is going to be a little bit fresh about the expansion is that they are adding a brand new enemy faction for us to murder. So that's kind of cool, and I mean that's good. More enemies to shoot and a new PvP arena. Um, I mean, this feels like an expansion, but if anyone's familiar with World of Warcraft, this is just another tier on the loot treadmill. That's all it is. Yeah, no, I'll buy that. And 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 please don't get me wrong, man. Like they, if they would add, um, I, we keep going back to the Mass Effect thing because that's sort of right now. I would say that's the gold standard for you know AAA storytelling in in a an actual playable action game. Um, if they could add anything like a like an, a legitimate campaign or something where there were party interactions or, or you could actually like let's say you wanted to so, like Zell's a big solo player often uh, you can solo in, in destiny to, to some degree uh, but what if you you could generate like AI you know AI guardians or something like that that you could like you know, you could have like a party of guys that you collect, you know, and you can level up or something like that. They, there's a ton of things that they could do that would just add a little bit of something to the game I, that would make it more than it is now. I tell you one thing that like really um, 
kind of disappointed me slightly. I, I saw the trailers and I, like you, I was a very late adopter to the whole franchise. I also didn't play until Taken King and I kept seeing ghosts and I was like, Oh, you get a little, you get a little pet. I wonder if you can make him do stuff. Nope. He just scans things and talks to you. And I feel yeah. like that—that that was kind of a missed opportunity to give him, you know, have a couple little passive abilities for the ghost, or make him do something slightly offensive, like be a little floating turret or something, just to to be different and to to your point, have a little AI companion. But no, he just delivers narrative, really murky narrative that no one really understands. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, Pokey. Please go ahead. I mean, my issue is that they they basically keep tacking on, you know. <sighs> I'm not even sure what to describe it as, but just like trying to add polish to something that doesn't need it. Like I logged in a couple of weeks ago and the only thing they had added was, Oh look, you can add a glow effect to your armor. I'm like, I don't care. There's, there are so many core issues with the game that totally kill. Like you said, the replayability is just not there. Like the main campaign is kind of like division main campaign is, you know, enjoyable. You're like, okay, this, this is kind of going somewhere and then it ends because it's way too short. And then you, you you're stuck in this endless grind that's that's not even enjoyable to get what you know once you get the gear okay now now what we're done gotta um, get the gear score brah yeah like that that the whole light level thing was completely stupid I don't even know why they thought that was a great idea to begin with um, since they moved away from it kind of um, but I mean they they, they I, I see this trailer and like you said it's more of the same it's it's just the same crap with some new shiny oh like like new enemy faction like okay admittedly when they brought the taken in with the taken king that was kind of cool it added some new enemy behavior it 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 changed the gameplay a little bit but it didn't fix the the underlying issue which was the game is boring as shit once you finish the main campaign which again is way too short so you know Will I play the the Rise of Iron? Eh, maybe you know we'll we'll see if the reviews come back good but I, I'm just not enthused by this at all and i I feel like if they're just going to keep doing this we're like hey we'll throw new raids at people and and they'll they'll love it and they'll keep doing if that's what destiny 2 is going to be i'm out like you know what really got me briefly excited was whenever they did the sparrow races did you ever do that uh i hate racing games and had no interest in that but i I, I actually did those those were uh well, the, those were not bad. The point is, I mean, whether you like them or not, they were adding in another thing to do. And, yeah, that's fair. And that, I mean, okay, so racing, neat. Not everyone's cup of tea. That's cool. It's not mine either, to be honest with you. But I was like, oh, they're adding in more stuff we can do. Great. And I got, like, excited for a second. Then I was like, oh, this is just an event. Okay. Yeah. It was basically yeah. a beta, if you really, I mean, that's, I mean, that's basically what they were doing. They were like, hey, we're trying this out. Tell us what you think. Uh... I mean, trust me. There, there's great example of a lot of a lot of things that that game you could add to that game in a in a Destiny two, so to speak, that would truly turn it into into a a really phenomenal game. Like the social aspects of it, like how easy it is to partner up with people. Um, kind of those instance, uh, those large map instance, like roam around and just shoot stuff. That. The, there's goodness in that game. Like the some of the raids, I, you know, the first two or three times you do them, like they're phenomenal. Then they become work, and that's that's when you're like, okay, you, you've got to progress beyond this. Um, and I can only do that whole gear score light level bullshit so long that that just becomes ridiculous, stupid. Now, one thing I will say they do real well, or at least I enjoy. I actually enjoyed the PvP in Destiny quite a bit. Um, that 
doesn't get old for me necessarily because when you want a PVP fix, it, it kind of is what it is. And you're just changing environments depending on the game that you play. You know, like whether you're playing, you know, Call of Duty Battlefront or if you're calling, if you're playing Destiny or whatever, you know, good PVP is good PVP. And it has a lot of the same feel to it, even though the mechanics may be different. The switchology is different. You know, you know, ray guns versus machine guns, that kind of thing. Um, I did like their PvP style because it was really well structured. Um, everything was power leveled until you got into a, you could opt into a non-power leveled you know, style of PvP. There were a lot of different ways to be viable in it, uh, even though technically there's not that much difference in the in the the different guardians that you know, like the classes that you could bring into the fight. Uh, that is really what I saw go wrong with the division, which I was, my original thought on the division was they took a, they took a lot of cues from destiny. I think while they were developing it and, and, and just went in a horribly wrong direction. You know, they were like, I think they missed the boat on some of it, particularly the PVP aspect and, and sort of like, how do you manage PVE grind versus, uh, you know, like that sort of work versus reward theory and things like that. So you could see that there are tones in, De- in division that came from destiny, but they just went in such a harebrained way. It was crazy. Whereas I think destiny for all of its PVE and sort of story content that's lacking the PVP part of it uh, was, was, and is still relatively fun. It's, it is not complex at all. Uh, it's fairly simplistic in how you play it. Uh, not a whole lot of tactics involved, but just like as a kind of a quick, fun Twitch, Twitch based sort of shooty game, it's, it's still pretty good. It, you know, that part's pretty good, but the rest of the game is just stale. And, and you know, that I think that's uh, Destiny and Division share an issue. And I think that they try to keep this link between PVE and PVP and have it be this, this seamless link. And I'll, I'll, I'll reference um, Diablo because I think in terms of you know a good PVE experience with really good replayability, Diablo is pretty much my gold standard. I think that they, they absolutely nail the formula perfectly. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that in Diablo you are overpowered as hell. Like you get these legendaries or these crazy awesome effects that make you know you hit an enemy and it arcs light in between everything on the screen. And it's it's fun because you're a one-man wrecking crew. Um, and that doesn't really translate to PvP well because you're overpowered as hell and it's hard to balance it. And I think that Destiny tries to do this thing where you've got your exotics with these special effects, but they have to make them balanced for PvP, which kind of makes them underwhelming for PvE. And so it's it makes the PvE kind of boring because they're, they're constantly trying to go, well, we can't really buff this because it'll make it broken in PvP. But it then is in turn kind of boring in, in the PvE experience. And the Division's kind of the same way where it's like, they, they can't seem to nail that balance where, you know, you've got these classes and roles in, in PvE where, okay, you're kind of the healer, or you're the tank, or whatever, and it, it, it kind of works cool, but then you get to PvP, and basically, unless you're running a full firearms build where you can, you know, nuke someone in, in half a second with, you know, insane DPS, don't bother. So it doesn't translate, and I... I I get the whole desire for the PvEVP aspect, but at the same time, we have two examples now of it just doesn't seem to work right. And I don't know if that's a, an issue with the developer just not knowing how to do it or if it just doesn't work in principle. And I think that's largely what kind of screws up a lot of the stuff with these games is they can't quite get that that 
mix right, and I almost worry if it's not even a possibility. I, I mean, what do you guys think? That's a fight that uh, a lot of games have, have dealt with for a long time. I know um, some games outright say this is the stats of something in PvE, and this is the stats in uh, PvP. Um, right. Like WoW, like expertise, I think um, it's called. Yeah, MMOs do it a lot. WoW has a whole... They had like three or four different like PvP-specific traits that they would give items. Um, One of them that... I'm trying to remember the name of it, because there there was a point where PvP was almost solely determined by this one stat that was was on all the PvP gear, and then they got rid of it. But there used to be um, like... uh, like oh, like spell deflection or something like that that was again like only used in in PVP and they would throw it on stuff to to affect the way the game played for PVP only um i'm actually thinking i think i think black desert actually states some of their stuff literally has traits on it that say well this is the traits are different in PVP yeah, um, Final, Final Fantasy is like that too. You'll, you'll have this is a 400 potency, but it's only 200 in PvP because it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. It's too overpowered then. And I think that's what some of the new WoW items do too. I think uh, some of the early WoW the the newer WoW items say it's this level in when you're in a PvP ground and this level when you're in a PvP space. Resilience. That's what it was called. That's it. Yes, resilience. Everything used to be measured. Your your PvP foo used to be measured by how much resilience was piled on your gear. Mm-hmm. And you and you saw that kind of in in Destiny for for one item where if you've played Destiny, shotguns are extremely potent in PvP and basically completely useless in PVE because if you're getting close enough to an enemy to use a shotgun, you're gonna die instantly because that's how the PVE is structured. So they actually doubled the damage of shotguns in PVE, and that still wasn't enough to make them work. Like it, it, there's just severe issues where trying to get these things to work together, and I'm not sure if it's the link that's a problem or if it's how they structure their their PVE that that doesn't work. Um, I think Division to a degree does it better than Destiny. I think Destiny is completely foobar when it comes to that, which is a lot of my frustration. Where when I say you can throw me new raids and content and, and new enemies and, you know, glowing armor, but I'm not going to care unless they can fix some of these core issues. I think that Destiny is running into this this problem where it can't decide what kind of game it is because people go, oh, well, it's an MMO. And then Bungie goes, uh, no, 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 it's not. It's not an MMO. And it, it's certainly not, but it, it has MMO elements. And they go, well, it's it's kind of like a looter because there's, there's, you know, praying to RNGs to get the right drop, except that once you get the gear, it's basically the same no matter how many times you get it, aside from some very minute differences that don't matter. Um, so you don't, again, you don't care. Once you get your, your special exotic, you're, you're done with it. Um, unlike, you know, like Diablo, where you make it a legendary, but there's 12 stats on it that can roll differently. And, you know, you may want to keep rolling to get the new perfect roll. And, and that appeals to some people and it doesn't appeal to others. But regardless... It's like Destiny can't decide what is it. Is it an MMO? Is it a shooter? Is it a, a looter? What is it? It can't seem to quite find that niche. It's like trying to recreate this own genre of itself, and it just isn't working. I can't decide what kind of game it is. And normally I wouldn't care to, to give it a label, but I feel like it doesn't even know what it's trying to do. And if they can't make some really fundamental changes to how things are structured in Destiny 2. I mean, I'm not expecting that in the expansion because it's just an expansion. They're building off an existing game. Fine. But like I said, if they're just if the next the next game, the sequel is going to be the same thing with just a whole new area, 
why should I care? I mean, this game is it's boring. I mean, in my opinion, it it doesn't have that pizzazz or that replayability that you know that that really hooks me. I mean, like Jay said, the the PvP is polished as much as I scream at my TV and throw my controller at, at certain times because I think some some balance issues exist. Um, sometimes I just want to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes I just want to sit down and and kill enemies, you know, and and I can't get that because it's boring. I mean, it's like okay, I've got all the top gear. Um, I guess I'm done. You know, I guess you can keep doing the raid for I don't know, no, no reason at all. <laughs> there's there's no reason to keep going, and, and that's that's what frustrates me because I don't feel like there's ever any incentive. It's like. When the game first released, it was like grind, grind, grind with basically no reward along the way until you happen to break the right light, light level and then you can move on to the next stuff, which is infuriating because it's like I'm going to be doing this with no reward forever. And then they kind of go into the, the Taken King stuff where you get it really quick and then you're like, well, now there's no replayability. <laughs> you know. And, and, and the reason I always quote Diablo for this is that Diablo figured out that if you give people cool drops pretty much constantly, but leave room for small improvements along the way, you get that nice mix of, I feel like I'm making progress, but I can keep going because I could make it a little bit better. And I understand that's not for everyone, but it works, you know, and the model is out there and it's been proven multiple times. I mean, Diablo two had it, Diablo three had it. Um, and it's worked really, really well. And it's proven itself to work really well. But for whatever reason, we just can't get a game that is okay with just kind of copying that model, even though they but, know it works. <laughs> you know, one of the problems with, and this is, you know, a very, very natural thing. You know, I'll kind of throw this as, a, you know, kind of a bridge, a bridging, uh, bridging comment. So we can move to our next topic. The uh, one of the problems that games like Division, Destiny, you know, any of these sort of games that have these very very large ideas in terms of like this is a game we want to play for you know years to come that's what they start at these games start out like that that is their intention when they're built so there's a lot of front-end work put into them to make them this huge hugely attractive like for the love of god they got sir paul mccartney just to do a fucking music video about destiny um so there's all this upfront stuff put into these games uh, Division was quite, they didn't quite have the hype as Destiny, but I think a lot of people learned that not to put, put that much upfront money into, into these kind of things, but they have these huge ideas of grandeur and like, and really longevity. So the theory is that you make a game that's good enough that keeps people with you until you can get the next, the next version of the game out or the next, um, you know, the next chapter of the game out, whatever you want to call it. Call of Duty can do this because it effectively has no story that requires anything other than you to shoot and like really snazzy stuff and cool music. That's it. It is a moment to moment shooter. Although I will say this, they're single player. They're, they're very short single player, um, you know, campaigns are actually really good and usually have a kind of a cool story to them. Uh, but you know, it's like six, seven hours of gameplay, maybe, you know, uh, but those games are built around PVP which is, you know, that that lasts the test of time, basically. I mean, it is what it is. Things like sports games that come out every year that are fundamentally not much different than the year before, but it has an updated roster that you can already do online. You know, that's like, 
like those type of games, you can you can have these you know long stretches. Of, but if you're a Destiny or you're a Division or something else like that, and you're trying to desperately to get to the you know, hang on to people long enough to get to the next next release so that you can you know get your keep your player base buying DLCs and vanity items or whatever, they're struggling because there's a lot of kick-ass games that come out like on a continual basis that pull your customers away. And to me, this this is what it shows. Like, if you you have to be really focused at what you want to deliver when you start designing that game. Like, what type of game? Who are you aiming for? What type of gameplay do you want? And I would reference you uh, back on our 100th show when Mitch Gittleman came on. He he spent a fair amount of that show talking about one of the one of the you know he's maybe the best thing that he knew how to do was when was when to say no or how to focus people on a game or a project as a, he said it wasn't so much about being creative, but about being focused. Uh, I would say that that's where games like destiny and division suffer a little bit. Uh, you know, in terms of what do you want to do? What are you trying to, what are you trying to be? And, and then sometimes maybe you can be almost too aspirational, you know, in terms of what you're trying to, what you're trying to deliver. So that's, that's just my thoughts on it as we kind of move to the, I guess the last phase of the show today. Oh, um, I so thing that I wanted to ask. Uh, so Destiny's new expansion here is also it's only for P- PS4 and Xbox One players, right? They're s- screwing over anyone who bought a season pass and had the older consoles. Uh, well, season pass doesn't include this, and it yeah, it is divorcing itself from the PS3 and the Xbox 360, which. I'm surprised they did it at this stage. I thought it would be a Destiny 2, but I'm glad they're doing it at this stage because that shit has clearly held back the game in a lot of ways for a while. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see it happen. I mean, come on, guys. It's the PS3. How many years ago did it come out? We just let it let it go. Even Dust gave <laughs> even, up on even, it already. Even Dust gave up on it, and Dust has hung around way longer than it should have. So <laughs> it, it's it's time to just say... Upgrade your damn system. Like I know, but there's I, mean, plenty I, I, I of, think uh... if you're gonna if you're gonna support a console with a game, you should support it like to the extent of that. Like, or or at least that they should offer everyone who has the PS3 game a free upgrade to the PS4 version if they're uh, gonna like. I, I think they said character um, characters will transfer from the PS3 to, to the buy PS4 it, version. You have to buy it again. Ooh. And all the DLC, right? See, that's I, kind of I, blurry because, like with Final Fantasy, they let you move over to the next one. There was a certain limited time, but I I went from PS3 to PS4 for free. I mean, I think they should at least give them that. Yeah, you should pay for the expansion, but it it should give. I, I think it would be appropriate to give the people who owned the the base game. Um, the PS4 version for free. I mean, it's a digital download. It costs them nothing to do it, and it's that's just good customer service. Um, I mean, it's. I guess they could screw them and make them pay for it again, but it's like, come on, just just let them have it. I mean, they're going to buy the expansion, obviously, so that's where your money is going to be, anyways. I mean, how much does Destiny sell for now? Like ten bucks? <laughs> I mean, what are you? <laughs> what, what what are you really gaining from it other than giving customers better service for for upgrading and and likely to continue on to buy your game because destiny 2 will obviously have you'll be on ps4 um you would want to encourage your your people to move to ps4 in a way that's not going to really cost you anything but yeah so kind of along those lines which i was was getting at and jay's kind of pushing in that direction too i i think that you really have to establish a, a really good pve experience to to keep the replayability and a kind of game that has um a long 
character progression. I think PvP is great, but typically the game to game is is you don't typically progress your character too much. I think that sometimes you need to have a good escape to you know. I just want to go you know group up the couple guys, and I I really like co-op. PvP, PvE games. I like, you know, just the pure co-op, no competitive. It's really nice to sit down and just, you know, accomplish something together without having to scream at your TV because some asshole on the other side is glitching through a wall and, and ruining your night. Um, so kind of the topic I wanted to get into is why we brought Ripley in here because he's, you know, uh, along with along with me, a huge PvE fan in games. At an hour um, and 20 minutes to the an show, hour and 20 starting minutes, our main I, topic. I know, I know. I, well, I mean, it's it's a good thing. I mean, we were kind of scraping by for a while, but it's a good, it's a good, good, good to have lots of discussion. But um, I guess my question kind of to a round table on, on what are you, what's your guys' opinions of PvE games and what are some examples of what you feel uh, makes a good PvE experience in the game. Um, just, just kind of what the elements are. Maybe some examples of games you like, um, and, and what really you know you, you think is is going to give a good lasting um, PvE experience that's going to last you know over and over again. That it evolves and it actually it provides something that's more than just grinding the same thing. Or if you are grinding the same thing, what makes that grind enjoyable versus you know a chore? Um, and I guess we'll start off with Ripley because he he's here for for this topic in particular. Well, um, probably one of my favorite um, PVE games, uh, PVE shooter games, and uh, coincidentally features some wonderful co-op capabilities. Um, probably the king of this castle is going to be Borderlands Two for me. Um, got so many hours out of that game, owned it um, on console and then PC later. Um, what makes it so good? I think is probably just massive um, enemy variety first and foremost, and they all behave differently. It's not a guy that hides behind a waist high wall everywhere. They all have different weapons, they have different behaviors, and I'm just a huge fan of it. Pokey, I, I think I remember you and I talking about this before, and you're also a big fan. I think. Oh yeah, Borderlands Two is is a great example of, of a lot of things I like in, in a PvE experience. I mean, for example, its loot system is clearly Diablo-based. I mean, they, they make constant Diablo references in it, which it works the way they structure it works. You're encouraged to keep looking for better gear because there are those slight improvements you can get. Um, and like you said, the the, the the moment-to-moment gameplay can change drastically. Um, I mean, what was your... In, in Borderlands... I actually preferred the arena mode in Borderlands 1 more than 2, um, but the arena modes in those games, what, what, how did you feel about it? Because those were really enjoyable to me. I like that that kind of you know endless rush of, of wave after wave of increasing enemies. I mean, is that something that, that you enjoy? I've, I've played different varieties of games because i mean warframe has a kind of similar wave survival system built yep. in and um they both work great for a lot of reasons um first and foremost and one of the reasons why i love pve is because the end user really controls the experience you control when you start and when you stop and some of us can't know life a game for four hours a day every day seven days a week so whenever i have an hour i can drop in and start playing and uh, arena modes are great for stuff like that, like those survival modes, because whenever I go, uh, I got to log off, it's too late. I can just stop taking waves. I can be like, you know, I'm done. I bow out. And that's fun. Um, whenever you played Borderlands 2, just out of curiosity, what um, what classes did you play primarily? Um, in Borderlands 1, I liked the, the Mordecai class, but I played him not so much like a sniper, but more like a... 
I, I took advantage of his abilities, but you know, close range typically. Um, and then I had the sniper rifle for backup, but it was it was mostly revolvers and, and stuff like that. And then in two, I really liked the engineer class, and that's typically the kind of class I tend to play in in a lot of shooter games. Is the you know throwing the turrets out and kind of that partial support, partial you know uh, fire support sort of deal. And that's that's usually what I I tend to go for. I went with Axton as well, but the reason I ask that is because. Um, whenever you have PVE games, and we touched on this earlier in the episode, um, you can balance around having cooperative, you know, having people helping the player. Um, and you can make classes that do stuff like, um, which class is it? Is it Maya the Siren that can shoot allies to recover their health with cauterization? So she's uh, kind of- yes. No, was, was it? Yes. Is it Maya? Okay. okay. Yes. So she, she gets an ability where she basically becomes a medic for all intents and purposes. And that's obviously a cooperative ability. It's meant to be used like that. There's a, um, one of them, I don't remember which class it is. It's either uh, the Gunzerker or Krieg, the psycho that gets a, uh, it's an AOE aggro. Everything attacks him for like 10 or 12 seconds. So you can get enemies off of your allies. And go ahead, sorry. No, yeah, I was agreeing that you are right. That That is the Gunzerker ability. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. That's stu- that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, making builds being like, I'm going to be the tank. I'm going to be the healer whatever. Um, that's great. And in PVP, it always just feels so competitive. You're not working towards a goal together all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I gotcha. I mean, and, and that kind of depends on what kind of game you want to have. You want to have more of a, a structured class base, or if you want to have it be more open-ended, like, um, like division, for example, where you can basically do and combine whatever you want, opposed to you've got a, a set kit you have to work with. Um, and I think there's merit to both of them. Um, I, I, I've enjoyed both types before. Um, I guess uh, going back to Warframe really quickly, I think this uh, potential, one of the uh, best potential uses of PVE is the ability to use it as a way to harvest resources. And Pokey and I and a dozen other people on the forums have talked about this, I think, but um, being able to have things like rogue drones to harvest raw materials from to then used for other purposes in the game, PVE just really lends itself to that. Warframe dims- demonstrates that beautifully, although sometimes they, uh, they require you to grind far too much for certain components. Yeah, and I, I think that you know a key takeaway from this is it, it, that I kind of wanted to compare is you know, how does the moment-to-moment gameplay feel for a PvE game? And, like, for example, I'll use a bad example, um, which I I think Destiny has, in many cases, bad PvE, where let's go into a boss fight. If you've played Destiny, Volus to Arc, the big giant turtle asshole with the Gatling gun, you can literally spend an hour shooting him in the face, and that's all you're doing is hiding in a corner shooting him in the face. It's You feel incredibly weak and pitiful i mean it, it's not a fun experience and i mean if you want to play dark souls that's fine um <laughs> but you know and I, I think dark souls is fun if you want to be a really weak character that's that's struggling through the whole thing that's great but i think that in this case and i'm obviously lending myself to talking about nova because you know this is kind of a a, a dust podcast um that we talk about other stuff but nova is obviously a hot topic right now I don't particularly want PvE where I'm shooting the same enemy for an hour. Um, I think that part of what makes games like Warframe, Warframe is a really good example, um, and like Borderlands is that you are a one-man wrecking crew or a four-man wrecking crew where it's like you're just mulching through corpses because there's just 
enemies everywhere. And, you know, they may not die super easily, but there's a lot of them. You're outnumbered. You feel like you feel you're a badass. Awesome. Kind of yeah. the, the dynasty warrior effect. Yes, that's a good example as well, where you're, you're basically, you are a certified badass. Um, and I think that's what makes a really fun PvE experience where, yeah, you get to be overpowered. Uh, Diablo is another good example where it's like you're basically, there's hundreds of enemies flying on the screen, there are body parts everywhere, and you're just basically plowing through them. And, in, and you can make that challenging. I mean, that, that can be challenging, but you still have that sense of, I am really strong. Like Doom is another good example. Um, the, the newest Doom, if you've watched the gameplay of that, you are a total badass. I mean, there's tons of enemies are very much outnumbered, but you just keep you know plowing through them. And I think that's, that's a key point that I think is really important for, uh, at least in my opinion, a really fun PVE experience is that you need to make the player feel extremely strong. You could be challenging, but then you need to feel like, wow, I, I have a lot of power behind my, my drop suit, or my character, or my, my class. And I, I see a lot of PVE games that try to balance high level content with, Here's a lot of HP on this really strong enemy. That doesn't work. Destiny is a good example of why that doesn't work, because you end up shooting a turtle for an hour. Um, they need to move away from that. And, and, and Division does it a little bit better. There's still some enemies where you're like, oh, come on, I've put you know 500 bolts into this right, guy. He's, he's gained I'm a foot, not, a pound and a half. Oh, I, you have Jay? No, but I got to tell you, like, you, well, I, yes, I am. But when you said Division, Division does it well... Well, it doesn't better you, I than know Destiny. You said the word "but." <laughs> I know there was a comma, the word "but," and then you were going to tra- you know, you're going to augment that sta- statement. I'm going to tell you now, like I've said many times, when I shoot a guy whose only armor is a freaking hoodie <laughs> in the face with a shotgun, I would really, like, really like him to die. I would like him to stumble. How about that? Yeah. He stumble. Let's do that. And then let's not. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I, no, I I got you, man. And I, I, like I said, you you can make a game challenging, but make it feel like the enemies are individually much weaker than you. And division struggles with that. I think probably from hardware limitations. Then you don't have you know four division agents versus a hundred guys in hoodies, which would be kind of awesome. But it's obviously not like that. But there are games that exist like that where the the one on one you can kick their ass, and it's more of a quantity of enemies versus a quality of enemies and i think the quantity of enemies is a better way to balance high level difficulty than necessarily just making you know hoodies that have the same defensive rating as a suit of armor um <laughs> which is basically what you end up with in, in some of these games so you, you do raise a good point jay well so on that note i i actually do need to jet a little bit early this is actually a really cool discussion um about the pve piece and I, I, I kind of wanted to throw one out like as a parting shot on the way out, reference uh, PVE. Uh, Borderlands, by the way, I think was one of the one of the more enjoyable uh, PVE experiences I've had. Uh, I thought that was actually uh, pretty entertaining, but I, I'm not sure if it was like the PVE fights themselves or the fact that that whole Borderlands world had been like built so well that it was, you know, that it was just enjoyable to run around and play in. Um, I think there, there might've been a little bit of that um, as far as I can tell uh, for actual, just raw, like player versus environment. I enjoy it. And it's kind of fun to do. There are other games that uh, like outside of console games, like to me, it's more about the social aspect that you can have out of it in terms of like, 
guys, you know, you're able to relax a little bit more in PVE because it's a bit more formulaic. Usually it doesn't mean it's necessarily easier, but I've often found that uh, it's more fun when I play with my friends in a PVE environment uh, because, yeah, in a PV, you know, in a PVP game, which by the way, I love that is, you know, cause I get really, I'm, I get generally pretty competitive. So that, that becomes a very intense sort of window of time. Like when you have like, you know, the classic 16 on six, uh, 16 on 16 PVP that we do in like dust, or you have like a, a, a high end match in like world of tanks or something like that, where it's like everybody is count being counted on to do their job. And you're playing with people that are very invested in trying to win. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot to that and it's a lot of fun, but it can, you know, that's like a really big spikes in emotion. Whereas PVE with friends is literally just having fun with your friends and talking and just, you know, BS. And, uh, and I enjoy that quite a bit. Like that, that to me is a huge stress, like de-stressor, you know what I mean? Like, cause you're not as invested in it, so to speak, you might get upset yeah. and you get shot, but you know, like, Hey, I lost this cool drop or whatever, but you're not you don't get this feeling like I let people down because we lost. Uh, so that's, that's just, that's my little shot out there. Uh, and if you get, if pokey guys, if you don't mind, I do need to throw a shout out cause I do have to bail here. Yeah. Go for it, man. Okay, cool. I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, Orlando. I guess everybody, I, I'm assuming by the time we've done this podcast, everybody kind of knows what happened in Orlando. Uh, you know, fairly, fairly tragic event. Uh, but uh, you know, Thoughts are with everybody down there. Uh, it's it's pretty tough um, in terms of uh, you know just having these type of things happen on U.S. soil. It, it works, you know, it works itself out. But it's a it's a it, that was a tough event down there last night. So if anybody's down in the Florida area, I do recommend you give blood. And uh, you know, there, I'm sure there's some local charities around there that are they're actually probably worthwhile and fairly well known, easy to check out uh, that are helping some folks out down there. So. Uh, shout out to the folks down in Orlando. Stay strong. Uh, we're all with you. Um, on that note, guys, I, re I truly have to, I truly have to go a little bit early, but I am anxious to hear how the rest of the PVE chat kind of plays out, uh, when I re-listen to the show later. So take it easy guys. Right. Sounds good, man. Thank you. You bet. See you, Jim. So to, here's the people who haven't talked yet. Like Libby, in, in your opinion, what's, what's some good PVE experience or, or elements that you, that you enjoy in a, a PVE game that, that makes it fun and, and particularly elements that allow you to keep playing it. That's not grindy, but still enjoyable. Like you feel like you're, you're gaining something out of it. Like, like what's a good example that you've experienced? Uh, what I'm playing now, I mean, Final Fantasy 14 is the closest to what I'd say has a really good model. And that's just the content and how much you're always throwing at you for, you know, I think it's worth even the monthly subscription that you're paying. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that game has a, <laughs> a, a rare complaint of mine that there's too much to do. I, I can't keep up with how much content they release. And I think that's that's also a, a good way, if the game company can, can put it out, which is, is always difficult, but if you can create a system where um, there is more content than you can ever physically actually get through if you have a job and a life... Um, that's good because it means that you always have an option. You, you're never forced to do something because it's the last thing you have to do. 
Um, and I think that a lot of that comes down to like uh, player created content is another big deal. I think that, and, and that works in a lot of different um, genres. Like Little Big Planet was kind of the first one that really hit it hard, where you basically have literally millions of levels that you can play that players have generated. You can play all day, every day, and never get through all of them. Um, simply because the, the the fan base is capable of generating enough content that the the game developer doesn't have to, um, and I know like the new Doom game has the same thing with snap maps where players can put together maps using kind of rooms and corridors and, and put them together and generate maps that other players can play on, and it's got a pretty pretty le- cool level of um, customization. Like people have built like puzzles and stuff into, the, into this thing. It's not exactly classic Doom, but again, it's something different you can do. And I think uh, having lots of content, in, in particularly player-generated content, is a really big deal. I know Warframe kind of got into that a little bit. I, I wasn't oh really gosh. big into it at that Warframe point. Warframe was way too intense. Like I like being able to step away for maybe a, a month or so and come back and have a lot to do. But Warframe, you miss like 50 updates and you just can't <laughs> you can't possibly keep up with what the heck they were doing. You know, I'm just going to run around and not know where I'm going for an hour and shoot things. Well, and yeah, I mean, you have to present new content in a way that's that's um, digestible to, to players that, that may be new or come back after hiatus. But again, you know, lots of content is good. And, and trust me, Warframe does some things poorly, but it does some things really well. Like I know that Ripley brought it up earlier. Some of the game modes in Warframe, like my favorite was um, Defense or Survival. I, uh, those are absolutely fantastic game modes. I, I really, really enjoyed those. And I could do those for hours because the levels were were procedurally arranged where there was rooms that were always the same, but the way that they were attached and connected to each other was different every time. So you could go into a match and, you know, you have to get from point A to point B, but it's different every time. And you have to Mm -hmm. go through hordes of enemies that that spawn at different rates. They may appear in different areas. Um, In survival, it was a big open map. um, And you had to go from point to point to activate um, life support supplies to keep the round going because you're on a time limit and you had to get to the next you know, air canister to activate the life support to keep the round going. And the longer you went, the better rewards you got. Um, all the meanwhile, the enemies are becoming more, more and more intense and stronger and hard to, to survive. And so it's kind of this game of chicken, like, do I extract now or do I keep going and try to get better rewards? And I think that, you know, certainly the, the whole risk-reward thing is, is, a, is a positive thing in, in gaming. People like that. Um, it worked to some extent in Dust and, and definitely did, it was fun in Warframe to kind of have that, like, okay, do we keep going five more levels? You think we can make it? we we got to pull out now before we're going to lose everything. You know, that sort of stuff was, was really cool. And, you know, I, I was a real Real huge fan of survival mode in, in Warframe. Like I, I played that shit for hours. It was awesome. Excavation was very similar, where you had these points that you had to defend the drills while they excavated, and they could get destroyed by enemy fire if you weren't careful. Very similar to defense. I, I think is that the one the drill would kind of go along a, a rail, and you had to defend it as you moved along with it. No, like they would land you. Okay, so you would go to an area, there'd be these predetermined spots where a drill could land, you come close to the spot, the drill is basically like orbital dropped into that area, and it starts drilling and it takes a certain amount of time before it extracts whatever it's trying to extract some kind of material, during which time it has a power rating and if it runs out of power it stops drilling so you have to run around and grab these power cores that drop from enemies and it's just this nice tempo of like drop the drill kill enemies bring back in power core to keep the drill up and in the meantime your other party members are probably defending the drill from attacks because it has health and can be destroyed and that's that's kind of where the the classes come into play well too because i mean there were there were roles that would 
were defender classes, and you could use those to defend your your points, um, and then others that were a little more suited for going out and killing enemies. And I think that uh, a big part of that is that it encouraged you, again, keep mulching through the horde, because you, you would get drops from the enemies that would help you reach the goal you were trying to do. And it wasn't just a hide in the corner and pick away at the boss for an hour, and then, you know, maybe profit if RNG is kind to you. Um, I think that you, you really need to have a game mode that encourages you to keep keep going out there and fighting and just keep killing stuff because everyone loves to be the badass and, and game developers need to give that to the players because that's what makes it fun in my opinion agreed you need to have that factor where you know the player feels awesome and i compared it to dynasty warriors because one of my first experiences with that feeling was there were certain heroes in dynasty warriors that had large sweeping attacks and you could just like plow through massive groups of these admittedly completely dumb AI opponents, but it was still fun to do that and watch them scatter to the winds. And that's the kind of gameplay that's really fun in PVE. And I hope something similar manifests itself in dust. Although, I mean, having uh, varieties of PVE that are less about um, mass destruction and more about precision, like assassination type modes, even some light stealth gameplay where your goal is to take out a certain sabotage a certain part of the map and then get out without alerting enemies. I mean, that even has its place in the Dust Mercenary, you know, uh, lineup of abilities. That's actually a good point because I mean, as we've seen with Nova, there's there's obviously a base class, the Infiltrator, which is kind of a close range, cloaky scout build, and then obviously subsequent classes that that build off of that. So you don't really want to create game modes that you know there are situations where game modes where certain classes aren't going to make sense but you want to make sure that they do have a place somewhere where they can actually accomplish something so that is a good point that a stealth level of, of combat or a, 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 at least something that a stealthy character can do that's not just churning through the horde is is actually important so that, that's a really good point i'm i'm not going to say that we should go full tilt into like the thief game franchise or into even deus ex levels where you have like light levels and you have to monitor that and stuff like that but no like, no just like evading enemy patrols staying out of their line of sight you know basic stuff like that could add something else for like you said the players that roll scouts typically well, and it could even make sense like for example there's you know you, you you're defending something and you have to go activate a switch across the map you can either try to force your way through, or you can send a little cloaky guy that can basically just sneak past them all with the cloak and avoiding line of sight and stuff like that to go activate it instead. It gives you options that, you know, different gameplay, different game styles will work. So if you've got some guy that's spec for scout, you want to make sure he, he's going to have a place no matter what you're doing, even if it's not, you know, necessarily up to the the, the way everyone else does it. You, you want to give them a purpose and a, an ability to actually do something that's that's going to be useful and not go, oh, you're, you're, you're spec for that class? Well, I guess you're out of luck. You can't play with us today because we're doing this game mode. So I think that that is important that you, ha that you have multiple objectives. I mean, this, this goes back to, you know, PvP that we saw in Dust, that secondary objectives are important because you want to break up the gameplay and randomize it a bit. And I think that you can have stuff in a PvE game mode where it's defend the point, okay. But you want to make sure the players have to keep moving around. You don't want them to totally entrench there because that can get boring too. Let's just sit here and shoot down the, the hallway and that's Turn the end of it. Yeah, that 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 <laughs> while satisfying sometimes, um, to make you know, a hallway full of bodies, you want to make them move around and, and go 
move around, go activate something, go kill enemies, you have to kind of spread out, take risks, you know, um, take calculated risks. I think that's also a really important element that they have to consider because, you know, if it once you don't want to create a situation where once one uh, strategy is proven the best, that that's the only strategy you use because everything else is worthless. You want to make sure that, you know, everyone has a role. There, there's there's options for variation that you can try different. You know, maybe we'll do it this way. We'll optimize it and make it make it a little more efficient or a little bit faster or you know less risky. That sort of thing, and, and make sure that everyone can be included with the class they choose because. You know, like I said, you don't necessarily have really strong locked classes like you do in Borderlands where you are stuck with that class for that character and you can only do this over there. I mean, you, you, but you do have a kind of a, a light sense of classes in, in Nova where there's the, the six main ones. And if someone, I'm not sure how leveling is going to work exactly or what the, the timeline for progression is, but if someone only has time to, to level one character, you need to make sure that that character is going to be viable in all game modes, not just certain ones, you know? I I agree with that statement. The, um, the other point I wanted to make about, like, adding different varieties of game modes is that if there are, um, if there are classes in the game that bring um, unique abilities, like we've been talking about the scout a lot, and it has its cloak, if there are classes in the game that feature similar abilities, like one that I have been thinking of for a long time is in, in Eve, there's a class of ship that has a bastion module that basically turns them into a juggernaut that you can't destroy. Well, it's very difficult to destroy them for a period of time. If, if something like that, if, if a very special class specific module gets added, then, um, a wonderful opportunity to add a game mode centered around that. Give make that class the star of the show in that game mode. You know, um, if there was a Sentinel or a Commando module that features that, like the Jump Jets or something, a, a, a game mode with lots of verticality. Yeah, I, I think that that that's a good point. There's a game that, admittedly, while its execution was poor and the game definitely flopped. Um, it does provide a good idea, or at least a concept to kind of build off of, and that was Brink. And Brink had um, four distinct classes, and it was a progressive-based um, game mode where you had attackers and defenders, and one, the attackers tried to fight their way through multiple objectives to the end of the map that the defenders were trying to stop them for, and, you know, do something that would win the match for them. Um, I'm a big fan of that PvP, but it does work um, in PvE as well, in that there were multiple ways to complete clear those gates and they actually usually were actual gates where you know the soldier could go up and plant a bomb on it and blow it up and he had to defend the charge and blow up or you could send the agent i think it's called an agent who would he was he was a lot more mobile and he would sprint up a wall and kind of climb through this air duct and sneak his way back there and activate a hack panel which would then open the gate instead of blowing it up and you had options like that like every role had something that they could do to contribute regardless of the situation because there was, you know, little things they could do. And admittedly, the, the execution in Brink itself was terrible, but I like the idea. I like that, you know, you've got secondary objectives that only that class can really pull off, but it's still useful for the progression of what you're trying to do in that moment. And I think that, like, that, like you said, like, they're, they're the star of the show. Like, okay, well, this area is open. Send the scout because that's probably the, the easiest way to get through this this point to, to progress what we're trying to do. Or you know, hunker down, put your your bastion module on your sentinel, and and have him defend this point because we've got to hold this for the next minute and a half. I, I think you can create situations like that, and they don't have to be necessarily scripted. I mean, you can have multiple options of how to how to do something. 
and it can vary from from game mode to game mode, especially with procedurally generated or procedurally arranged um, maps and situations. There's lots of ways where different party composition can can drastically alter how a match plays out, and there may not be just one optimal way to do something. And I, I think that that could could really be enjoyable for people, especially with like you said, powerful class based equipment that only works for that class, much like it does in Eve. Um, probably a. A not so subtle segue into Eve and shifting gears a little bit. I know someone mentioned it may have been you the, uh, the where PVE was done incorrectly. You know, lessons learned. Um, Eve PVE, while profitable and no doubt rewarding, um, is um, phenomenally boring, and there is no real difference between enemies aside from resistance differences. I mean, I think as far as just how PVE works, it's remained largely unchanged throughout the life of Eve. I'm fairly confident in saying that. They've added some things, but like the, the base PVE experience like is, has been pretty unchanged. I mean, they've had incursions, and I know there's the uh, the new little mini-missions that you can um, opt to decline that, that don't punish burners. you for declining. Burners, that's the one. Where they, they're they much higher and they're supposed to behave more like players, I've heard. I, I haven't personally done them. I haven't played even so, a long time, but so maybe Ar- should let them in. Arkina and a couple courtmates and I tackled a burner mission, and um, what it comes down to is just imagine the most um, uh, well-tanked frigate that also has amazing DPS and he's got two guys shield repping him, and you have to fight him. And he's in a frigate, and you are also in frigates. It's a dogfight, which does, you know, um, fast ships in Eve have a quality of feeling a little bit more um, visceral when you're playing them, as opposed to a capital that takes 20 minutes before it warps, much less turns. And when you're in a frigate battle, and it's kind of zooming around, and hey, that's fun or whatever. But at the end of the day, the experience was still very much the same. It's just the enemy was pumping out higher numbers, you know, than than what we're yeah. used to seeing. And that's probably partially due to the lack of development time spent on it and partially due to the fact that Eve is just like that, where numbers are a big deal. Um, I mean, you can have situations that are, are set up in PvP where it's you know crazy and, and, and wild, but it, usually that comes from the, the lack of predictability that players will do and they'll come up with really dirty ways to kill you. PvE, it's pretty much down to, at least in my experience, because I, I did a lot of level 4 missions solo, just battleship, you fly in and just nuke shit from 100 kilometers away and fly out. Like It, it was all about DPS and how much you could tank. And, and I do agree that that is a pretty boring way to do it because it comes down to just, well, once you have a, a good enough ship, you can pretty much tackle the missions, which are canned. They're always the same. You might get them in different orders, but they're always the same. Um, and you can do them the exact same way every single time and profit. I mean, it is a grind and it's a slow grind because you're just getting money for it. Basically. Um, it's not even like a, uh, an excitement of like, Ooh, I might get something that's rare or exciting. You know, it's just isk at the end of the day. So that, that is a good example of something not to do. Um, I think that that may have a place for low level stuff. Like new player comes in, Hey, you're going to go in solo or with a group of of four people or whatever. And it's, it's, it's a low profitability per hour, um, PVE game mode, but it's, it's boring, but boring can be good to teach people how to do things at an early stage. Um, because it's not complicated. It's just a, we're teaching you how to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, And that can be useful for, 
teaching game modes, and I, I'll, I'll reference Battleborn on this, and I will say I was a little disappointed in Battleborn's PvE campaign because I thought it was going to be like Borderlands. It most definitely is not. Um, it plays like here's a PvE mission where you and five people can learn how to do the objectives in the PvP game mode. Um, and so while I was disappointed because it wasn't what I was expecting, it is useful because it goes, okay, well, go defend this point and enemies are going to spawn and they're going to come from different directions. And it's pretty easy. Um, it's a training tool. It's a training tool. And, and that, that that's what I'm getting at is that PVE is not just a game mode. It is a tool. It's great for training. Um, and, and I know I've discussed with you in the past and probably on the show that it, it can be used for other features like in Planetary Conquest your districts you control are constantly being infested by rogue drones, which spins up the option to go in and do a PVE mission where you have to clear them out. Um, And this basically forces you to either have enough manpower to clean your districts to keep productivity up, or you can hire it out to, you know, maybe uh, smaller corps that can do it for you. You can have corps that are are cleaner corps that that specialize in in doing PVE missions to clean districts out. And that's that's part of the overall meta. But it is a tool, not just a game mode. And I think that's why it's so freaking important that they have it, because it's so useful depending on how you want to use it, especially in a game that's as open-ended as, you know, a a new Eden-style game. So, Rattati, I know you're listening, and if you're still awake, um, please... Dear sweet fancy Jesus, give us a some kind of like uh, VR shooting range so I can try out my weapons. That would be just that would be so good. And then tying this into the PVE aspect, very much like they do in um, Planetside Two, you can have hologram targets that either move or move very slowly that you can fire upon just to get a feel for a weapon before you're forced to invest SP into it. My God, that would be beautiful. That'd be all I would do. Oh yeah, like a, like just... a VR uh, what if situation room where you can try out. You know, what if I build my character like this? How, how will I perform? Dude, yeah, yeah. Or, or a role Even... that you haven't played before. Like, I wonder what Logies do. You can mm-hmm. go look at their weapons. Oh, oh yeah. Because I mean, I I know so many players have specced into something, thinking, oh, this is going to be great, and then they realize this isn't really what I wanted it to be. You know, maybe I, I didn't really actually want the, the assault rifle. I wanted the, the rail rifle instead. And they've wasted how much time grinding for it. And I think that, you know, giving people the option to do that is great. Especially if you've got player generated content where let's say your corporation can build um, in their little corporate headquarters, this training map, and you can actually spawn rogue drones in the map and throw your newbies in there and go, okay, here, we've we've made a little map for you to go fight and try out, and this is, this is how we're going to train you. And, I mean, you can separate that and say, okay, you don't get any experience for it, so it can't be abused. But the point is, if you've got the subsystem set up where you've got drones in there, you can make player-created content pretty easily. I mean, it, it's not a new concept. It's been done many times very well in other games, and there's lots of inspiration to pull from. Like I said, Little Big Planet, Doom, um, lots of games have player generated maps and again this could be a tool that corporations can use to build training maps for their newbies hell you could have um your corp headquarters you build and it's something that enemy players can attack and you've built a map to give yourself the home field advantage you know these things overlap and they can work symbolic you know uh, in in like a symbiotic relationship you just got to put it in there and i think that you know, that, that's why I really wanted to stress in this show, because I, I know Frame for sure listens to this show, so um, that's, that's why I wanted to talk about it. But, you know, I, I can't stress how really important this is, because it is such a great 
awesome tool. Even if you're not a PvE kind of guy, you have to admit that there's lots of things you can do with it to make the meta really interesting. Yeah, and you the end result by implementing some kind of very foundation basic PvE system is you have a smarter player that can then PvP that much better, better and present um, more of a challenge to other people rather than, unfortunately, something we saw happen in Dust, uh, just newbies getting completely curb stomped in their first couple matches because, I mean, they're just now figuring out controls, much less how to purchase uh, a skill or properly fit a suit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I th- again, very useful tool, especially for new player experience. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I wish I could have stuck someone in, a, in an easy mission and go here, just learn how to do your damn shit because... Just um, basically put them in like a holodeck. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, okay, the Academy was a joke. And while I don't think PVE is a replacement for a good new player experience or a training system, it is a good way that players can not make a lot of money necessarily, but early on give them the opportunity to really learn the ropes in a way that's not going to make them want to quit the game and break their PS4 or their PC, I guess, in half. Um, because, I, come on, you get three missions out of the Academy and they throw you to the wolves. I mean, literally, people going in with nothing versus guys been doing this for two years. It was awful. I'm amazed anyone really put up with that because if you ever made a new character in Dust and tried playing, it was terrible. Well, my, my inevitable experiences whenever I tried out, I know that they were they briefly modified the way Academy works, um, Rattati did. And I was like, oh, okay, I want to see how this is. So I jumped on a new player, and Academy was great. And then like it, the game just had no idea what, I guess, my MU was supposed to be. So I got put in a match that was like 11 v 16. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a good time. Yeah, I... I, I know I did rather well in Academy, but geez, is this necessary? And of course, I got destroyed. Yeah, and and that that's why it's 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 a really good tool. Um, you haven't said much, Zell. I know you play a lot of a lot of solo stuff. Do you have any good examples of PVE games that you you enjoy that are either co-op or just solo, and, and what you enjoyed about them? I really enjoyed Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. I know I mentioned that two hours ago, but <laughs> I, I, I know. thought we'll, I would we'll, say that we'll, here. We'll close this one up clo- uh, soon, but. Uh, what elements of Mass Effect did you like in the actual gameplay? I mean, I know the story is great and it's it's a great storytelling, but uh, what part of the gameplay there. did you like? You just kind of do it. I, I, I don't know. It's, okay. it's just kind of. I, I mean, you play Mass Effect for the story. Um, honestly, most of the games that I play single player, I play for a story um, more than anything else. Um, Shadowrun again. That's the game is fun, but you're you know it has a really good story engine to it too, and that's those are the sorts of things that I look for in single player. Um, and then in multiplayer, I just want to blow people up. Um, I, I did notice, the since you're, you're making me talk now, uh, one of the things I wanted to comment on earlier was you had talked about um, making people feel powerful in single player. Um, I don't think that's necessarily impossible to do in single player and multiplayer, but you have to have where you are powerful in certain situations and weak in others. And that rock, paper, scissors balance can make what works in single player work in multiplayer as well. Yeah, I think it's doable. I, it's just the issue is, is you know, like I said, like you haven't played Diablo, but the the, the legendaries in Diablo have crazy awesome effects. I mean, I know Libby's played it, and some of the shit you can do is is just hilariously cool. Unfortunately, you can't have those effects working in PvP because it would break everything. It just it just wouldn't work. Um, I, I yeah. think there's there's something to be said about having certain classes in certain situations just do very poorly. 
um, or, yeah. or depend on another class to survive would be another way to put it. Um, not to say everyone needs like a pocket logi. No, I, I think you, you're on to something there, and it's something that I've certainly talked about in the past and on the show, is that it, the characters in Dust seemed like they were a little too good at everything. Um, a lot of the classes were just really good, and they could be very self-sufficient um, to varying degrees. Some were, some were more dependent upon others, and, and some were, were definitely uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, and it, it did cause balance issues. So I, I think you're on to something with... Um, with the class-based equipment, you know, stuff that's that's unique, that that really can make that class shine and, and make them particularly good at one certain element. And I think you can balance that. I mean, obviously, it works in Eve. Um, it can be made to work in in Nova. Uh, uh, however, it's done. Um, now, obviously, a lot of stuff I'm talking about with legendaries and crazy effects and stuff. I don't think Nova's going to be a looter like that. I just, I don't see it happening. Um, nor do I think it really should be. I, I think it's it's fine to be something else, but more to the effect of like you said, they can be really good at certain things and really bad at others. And I think that that's probably the best way to go. And it was something they tried to do um, in DOS, but I think the issue was is that it wasn't planned very well. Um, and there was really never a really grand idea of what classes were. Um, that there was no actual... I don't think anyone actually sat down and went, okay, this guy's going to be good at this and this and really bad at this and this. I, I think that that fell apart about halfway through and you started ending up with some really weird stuff. Um that caused a lot of problems. And I think that hopefully um, from what I've seen with Rotati, he's done a pretty good job at trying to clean that up. And I hope that a, a fresh start will give him a better option on, on how to, uh, you know, make that work better in the future. So I, I think that it, it can be done. It's just a matter of, I don't have enough information right now to really give my opinion on how it should be done because there's a lot of other elements involved as we've discussed. So we're on the two hour mark. <laughs> I've been rambling for a long time here. I but, have, you know, I have one I, final topic. Yes. Um, and I do so, too. No, you don't. The show is at <laughs> two hours already. I have a topic. I declared it earlier. Um, so I went to see the Warcraft movie. Um, oh, yes. Many, many people say the Warcraft movie is bad. I say it's fine. It's My fine. condolences. Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was it, it was enjoyable to watch. It wasn't great. It's not winning any awards. It isn't the best movie I've seen this year. It's not like the best movie I've seen this month. Um, but it was fine. Um, it told a story that honestly I didn't really know very well because I played you know played World of Warcraft but didn't play the original Warcraft game, which is more what this was based on. So there were a lot of characters I recognized at a different state than when I saw them um, in the game that I played. Um, I think a lot of people were expecting more comedy out of it because uh, World of Warcraft, the whole Warcraft franchise is pretty cliche. And so when they play the movie plot pretty straight, it comes off as a pretty cliche movie. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think people are hoping it was going to be play more out of the the more comic or or funny tone that you sometimes get out of World of Warcraft. And they didn't. They played a, a straightforward near historical telling of their this plot from Warcraft. I, I heard they, they used the uh, Murloc soundbite at one point, though. They which did. Is... There, is, there is one point they're, like, crossing a bridge, and near the bottom you see the Murloc and the little Murloc noise. And that's oh. it. Um, which, was, which was nice. Khadgar is, like, the, who's a mage, is, like, kind of the only slightly comic relief character. He made me laugh a couple of times, but... Um, you know, if you know Warcraft and you're interested in Warcraft story, you'll probably kind of enjoy it. If you don't care, you probably won't. I actually had two friends that weren't weren't at all Warcraft players with me, and they they actually liked the movie more than I did. 
Okay, so riddle me this. Hi, everybody. I'm Bait. Um, can I go into the movie not knowing daily shit about Warcraft and understand what's going on as far as the world and everything? Probably. There's, there's. What? I mean, there are. You will miss things, but okay. I don't think that that's a a particularly big problem. Was there a kick? No. 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 There Man. Was no kick. Okay. Top kick. That is all. Okay. Um, Ripley, did you have one one quick topic before we close this up? Why, yes, yes, indeed, I did. Thank you, Pokey. I'm in charge, though. So. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Aliens movie, Aliens Covenant. Yes. I am stoked for it. You should be too. Um, it it is going to be a follow up to Prometheus, the movie that made everyone say, "What the fuck just happened?" I hated that movie so much. There's and, another one. But I think yeah. we're still going to be confused because I don't think they're recasting. What's her name? Fastbender. Fastbender will be there, but the lady role—I forget her name. It was no. played by uh, which? Oh, which which lady role? There are more than one, you know. The one that birthed the, the squid. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I figure she's dead, so you know. No, she went off to explore. Oh, Star right. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. With the so guy's she, head. That movie sucked. That movie sucked. I'm sorry. There's just, just like, no. I mean, it, people said the Warcraft movie was bad, but the Warcraft movie was fine. Prometheus was bad. Prometheus was awful. Prometheus birthed the Prometheus school of running away from things gag. Um, just no. You so didn't the, like the primordial jello shots that the guy was giving out? Yeah, the, the that strange, whole, that whole movie strangely just... beefy, white, pasty Jesus metaphor that happened at the beginning of the movie. Um, so the new movie, real quick, uh, yes, it's going to have the xenomorph, yes, it's going to have eggs, face huggers, chest bursters, and the director is promising a scene more gnarly than the first chest burster scene. Mm. So that's a good time. That's not it, a sell for me. It will be a, quote, hard art. Zell, so, so you like the WoW movie. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> um, and uh, it's a hard R, so like we can expect gore and guts and violence, and it should be good. Uh, anyway. Yes. Well, it's an alien movie. It's got to be like horrifically gory. That's that's like a requirement, right? Well, they try. They didn't really try very hard for Prometheus. Even then, uh, I I think um, Ridley Scott said something about like it was meant to be spiritually connected to the alien universe, but not tangibly, or some really stupid hipster sounding quote from him. Dark Souls, gotcha. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, yeah, that's all I wanted to plug. Good movie. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Any uh, last passing shots before we go into shoutouts, guys? Bethesda, that's cool. Bethesda, yeah, Bethesda's like I'm. I'm kind of watching the stream off in the corner. They have the biggest raging hard on for Dishonored too. It's um, not even funny. Like I, I've, I, I've, I kind of enjoyed Dishonored, but meh. Like I, I looked away and looked back half an hour. They were still talking about it, showing gameplay. I'm like, holy crap, what are you guys going on about? Yeah, um, I feel like I'm so, too much of that game. I mean, Steampunk looks, Assassin's Creed. No it, thanks. It, it looks gorgeous but what? i never got into the first one so i don't it's too many games man i can't keep up with all this crap but yeah so bethesda's uh presentation is going on right now um we will cover Skyrim all of it master oh is it is that confirmed yeah confirmed uh october 26th we'll support mods this year this year mods on console mods on console baby oh okay yeah okay that's that's awesome i just um, fall out but yeah so console win pc um, See never because yeah. I don't know. It's a good question, but regardless, it's cool. Um, <laughs> so we'll we'll cover all the Bethesda stuff um, next week. We've got uh, I think Sony is 
I think Sony and Microsoft are tomorrow, and I think Nintendo's on Tuesday. So we'll, we'll have lots of stuff to talk about, and we'll find out if Bates' Pokemon game is going to be a thing or not. So it'll and be great. For God's sake, they better give me a date on Legend of Zelda before I kill myself. I hear that's going to... Is that going to be announced? I thought they, they were going to delay the announcement of that. I will stab someone. Okay, well, we'll see if Zell commits homicide before next week. Um, <laughs> let's go into shoutouts, guys. We'll start at the top of the list with Zell. I My shoutout is to the uh, standing request for uh, both Logic Loop and uh, Ritati to send us videos of uh, them seductively eating bananas, which is illegal, yes. to, is illegal to film in China. And frame. Yeah, I want to start a game developer um, section on Pornhub, and that will be the first video there. I said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again. I would totally buy a Pornhub subscription for like a month just to be able to see that. Just to watch Ritati eat a banana. It's mostly it's mostly Ritati's. You want Ritati's, you know, Viking death stare while he eats a banana. That that's really all you're you're there for. Mark me as scaroused. Okay, this show has gone to shit. Um, <laughs> Livy, shoutouts. Dude, I don't even know. I don't have any, but thank you for having me on the show again, guys. For sure. I'm, we're going to continue to force you to talk um, and contribute because that's what we do to all the people. And that's basically how we made Bait eventually end up being a host, is we just forced him to talk about stuff he probably didn't care about. Is this like an introvert yeah. intervention or something? Like... It, it is a fellow introvert forcing you to be less <laughs> introverted on an online podcast, yes, that's what's going on. <laughs> okay, bait. Shout out to now. What's going on? Yeah, uh, I know Jay said it earlier, but as a fellow Floridian, I feel like I have to do my due diligence and shout out to uh, everybody affected by the Orlando shooting. Um, Orlando's not that too far away from uh, where I live, so it's a it's a a, a heavy burden, I guess. Um, so if you're in and around Orlando, I highly encourage you to donate blood. Very important. Um, uh, that those people get what they need. Um, I think they want O negative, O positive, and AB, or some shit like that. Um, so do that if you can. Uh, shout out to Bethesda. I can finally stop playing Fallout 4 and wait for October to play Skyrim. Awesome. Yeah, I, I was actually born near near Orlando, Florida. I no longer live in Florida, but uh, that's that was some pretty crappy stuff going on there. So, you know, definitely uh, thoughts for people affected and, and, and whatnot. So if you can help and are willing, do what you can. Um, it's obviously really rough right there. Um, Ripley, what's going on, man? Shoutouts? Uh, let's see. Shout out to CCB Logic Loop for being a total bro. The last uh, couple weeks, he's been really communicative. I know he can't just tell us everything, but uh, I really like the fact that he's still talking to us. Everyone else seems to have their head in the trenches, and he does too, but he still finds some time to get on Twitter and let me harass him and jump on the forums and troll people, and that's that's good stuff. He posted a screenshot of from his work, um, just like, it was like a file structure, um, and I just wanted yeah. to, I, I just wanted to comment that um, it has a folder, it, so it's it's got like, let me, let me pull this up here just a minute. Um, it's got a geometry folder, and it's got a cover folder and a floors folder. Obviously, maps have floors. Um, outer walls, structures, all reasonable. And then there's a folder called lift. So what you're telling me, Zell, is that Nova is going to be the game in which literally everybody tries to see how many kills they can get with elevators. 
Maybe yeah. that might be. I don't care. I'm. I was excited. I'm like a lift. And he's like speculate all you want, and I'm like all I can say is my spirits have been lifted, and 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 being clipped into an elevator and ultimately cut in half with the remains of your body spewing up the shaft because if, if that, that will like, probably happen. Hey, and with, or, with like the quality like Unreal Four stuff, we can have like blood gushing out both halves oh, of you. Dude, you it, it, it's it's not. It's actually a feature where you've you've entered a. Uh, a drop-up link that has glitched and has warped half of your body into the lift, <laughs> in which case you get sliced in half and blood everywhere. That That's probably going to be a feature. Not a glitch, a hidden feature. Glory. It unlocks an achievement called 50-50. It, 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 it's, it's just called CZP'd. Um, all right. Um, <laughs> hey, that doesn't get you disconnected from a match. That doesn't count. That's, that's true. Um, you would have to somehow have a cascading effect that would basically break your PC. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm done being mean. Um, my shout-out goes to uh, Livy for being on the show, again, um, forcing her to be uh, less introverted, and making me go to the doctor to find out I actually have a broken toe, and it's been broken for a month. Um, so There's yeah. nothing they can do about that. They just tell you you have a broken toe, and well, it, may, it. it may not be healing, so they may have to pin it. Um, we'll see. Ooh, okay. So, usually yeah, they don't it, have to do that. I've, it, I've broken toes before, and it's usually like just, you know... Tape that's, what she, or that's what she told me, and then she'd be x-rayed, and she goes, oh, I, I can't really tell if it's calcifying around the edges, so I'm going to send it to radiology, I'll let you know, but if it's not, you'll have to go to a foot specialist, and they may have to pin it to make it heal. And like, now oh, we know more great. about Pokey's foot than we ever wanted to. Yes, I have a broken right big toe, and it, it's a pain in the ass to walk on, so uh, I know you were all very concerned about my, my toe, so uh, <laughs> without further ado, let's bring this, this uh, grease fire in for a close, so um, I want to thank you guys for, for watching. Um, be sure to tune in next week for more E3 uh, cover. I, I think a lot of it's going to be really cool. Um, the really big ones are, are going to be uh, are going to be after this show with Bethesda and Sony and uh, and Microsoft and Bacon report on that because no one else cares. Uh, and it'll be great. So, uh, as Jay always says, uh, thank you for listening and everyone have a good night and good luck. <laughs>